0: Mountain cold refreshment made to chill. 2020 Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Celebrate responsibly.
1: Hey, it's Canzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence.
0: Welcome to The Baldcast. A production of John Bald Baldface Truth.
1: I'm not in the business of spoiling your movies, but... I love sports movies. I love good movies in general. I always judge people based on their list of good movies. Like when Dan Lanning, the uh, University of Oregon football coach, gave us his list of movies and it was a little dark, but you know, quality stuff in there. The movie Seven, you know, it's still a quality movie. It is a little dark and twisted, you gotta kinda wonder about people who say Seven's their favorite movie, but he likes Seven. He liked the Godfather series, he liked the Road to Perdition. I can respect that. Last night, uh, Anna and I saw The Boys in the Boat. Have you seen this movie? I'm not going to spoil it for you. I'm not. I'm really not going to tell you much about the movie at all. If anything, I'm just going to whet your appetite. The Boys in the Boat tells the story of the University of Washington crew Crew, I mean rowing. Sound like you know what you're talking about. The crew team from 1936 that ended up going to Berlin for the Olympic Games. It's a great story, and it's a reminder of what's great about college athletics, frankly. I found myself not only entertained, not only moved, it did everything that good movies should do. It made me feel, it made me think. It's a really good movie. Go check it out. I don't want to ruin it, but I found myself thinking a lot about college athletics as I watched the movie because part of the movie relates to, I mean, obviously it's college kids. It's the University of Washington, and it's a time in the 1930s when college sports really was college sports, and I'm not here to debate and just say that college kids shouldn't be paid or the transfer portal shouldn't be a thing, but I am here to tell you that it's off the rails college athletics being the it of it. It's off the rails. It's been less enjoyable for that reason. It's felt too much like the pros in some cases. I'm still always looking for good stories, stories of redemption, stories that make you feel connected to sports that, um, and college sports in particular, that don't feel like professional sports. And I think that's what's bothered me the most over the last year or year and a half, and, you know, I know we all started by talking about New Year's resolutions on January 1st, and, you know, we came on the radio. I came on the radio on Tuesday's show, and I said, okay, what's your word for 2024? And, uh, you know, and uh, Anna had used the word. She said she wanted to simplify. And uh, Wayne Tinkle, the Oregon State uh, men's basketball coach, said, hey, I'm going to steal that. I'm going to use simplify. Dana Altman, I asked him what his word was, and he said healthy. I mean, Dana Altman thinking about his team, it kind of tells you something about the individuals when they pick their word, too, kind of what they draw upon. Like, Dana Altman's focused on he's got to be healthy because he knows if he has Infali Dante in the lineup, you know, he's got a chance to win some big games. If he's got Biddle in the lineup, he's got a chance to win games. He knows he's got the guards. He knows he can coach. He knows he has resources at Oregon, so he's focused on being healthy. Uh, Wayne Tinkle here is Simplify, and he's like, okay, I like that. His life has probably felt complicated in the last three or four months. Where, What conference are you going to play in, Coach? How are you recruiting, Coach? Um, they are going to play in the WCC, and Wayne Tinkle picked Simplify. Said he was piggybacking off that. I have since changed my word. I started off by saying focus, but I think a little bit of that was the fact that I am focused, and so I was like, focus, and uh, – and uh, I ultimately now have settled on two different words. One of them is joy because I want to find the joy in sports again this year. I don't want to be consumed with meteorites and conference realignment, even if college athletics is going to be consumed with meteorites and and realignment. I need to uh, I need to find the joy and and it's why I sometimes find myself interviewing guests or writing columns about human interest stories that really make you feel and make you think and remind you a little bit of the good parts and the best parts and the human parts of college sports and sports in general. So go see The Boys in the Boat. It's a true story uh, based on the uh, best-selling book. Uh, George Clooney is the director. I'm not going to spoil it. Uh, you may know how it ends. You may not know how it ends. You may never heard of it. You may have it on your bucket list to go see this weekend. I talked to one of my neighbors and they, they were like, Oh, we're, we're going to see it on movie night. I need a movie night in my life. But, uh, they're going to go on movie night. Uh, make a movie night for yourself. Go see the boys in the boat. It should, it should be on your list of movies to see this year. We got a great show for you today. Stu Jackson's going to be with us. WCC commissioner. I'm going to ask him about his plan. For the year, I'm going to ask him about the scheduling partnership that uh, the WCC has with Oregon State and Washington State. Uh, what's in it for the WCC? What's the long-term play? How do they see Oregon State and Washington State fitting? You're going to get familiar with the WCC. Stu Jackson, obviously somebody who has been in sports uh, and worked in sports for his professional life. And uh, really bright, uh, experienced person. And commissioner of the WCC, previously had his experience in the NBA, um, you know, coached the New York Knicks, coached the Vancouver Grizzlies, was a head coach at Wisconsin, um, and uh, obviously started his coaching back at Oregon in, uh, in the 1980s. So, um, Stu Jackson will be with us on the show today, and a guy who has been VP of Operations of the NBA and... Obviously, a uh, illustrious career in basketball and beyond. He'll be with us uh, just uh, in a few minutes later this hour. In the 4 o'clock hour, Jim Moore will be uh, joining us, one of my favorite people in sports media. He's got great perspective, former columnist in the Seattle market, now co-hosting a radio show on KJR in Seattle. We're going to take the temperature, not just of what's going on with the national championship game, Monday, it'll be Washington and Michigan in Houston for the college football playoff championship trophy. We're not just going to talk about Kalen DeBoer and Michael Penix Jr. and the hysteria this week in the Seattle market as it pertains to the University of Washington. We'll talk with Jim Moore a little bit about Washington State and uh, his career as a sports writer and now a radio host on KJR in Seattle. Jim Moore will be joining us at 4 o'clock I had an in-depth conversation with John Wilner today of the Bay Area News Group. We uh, debated the national championship game. We uh, disagree. He likes Michigan. I like uh, wa- Washington. I always go with the best player, all things being equal. And I think these teams are very, very much are even. Stephen, you like Michigan as well. Have you wavered at all this week, hearing me? You know, basically uh, on the bandwagon with Michael Penix Jr. and beating the drum for the Huskies.
2: I mean, we've seen Washington all year long, so it does it does make me a little nervous just knowing what Michael Penix Jr. can do, and now that he's healthy, I think it was confirmed last you know last week that he wasn't healthy for a lot of this season, and that's why his stats and his numbers took a little bit of a dip from the first six games of the year. But no, I haven't wavered yet. I still think Michigan is gonna win the game. Um, I do think that they're going to get some pressure on Michael Pennings Jr. Maybe not get him down for sacks, but just make him a little more uncomfortable than Texas did. And I just think that Michigan defense is going to be a little bit better prepared to stop that elite passing game. And then the question of Dylan Johnson, like I know he's expected to play in the game, but I think that's a big uh, a big downgrade if he's not 100% healthy going into the game. So I think Michigan can do just enough against that Washington defense and uh, is going to win the national championship.
1: All right, here, here's my retort to that. Uh, you're right about Dylan Johnson. If he's not right and, and I have questions about whether or not he is right. You, you know, the way that Washington has kind of made a point to go out of their way to say he is playing, he is playing. Like I'm a little bit of a poker player when it comes to injuries. And I kind of think if he, if he was going to play that Kalen DeBoer and Washington might be hedging a little more and saying, we don't know. He's going to be a game time decision. You know, if he's going to play, right, just think about the logic of it. If he's going to play and they feel good about him, eh, let Michigan wonder and let him game plan for uh, a game without him. And so I would kind of, if I was Kalen DeBoer in Washington, I'd kind of be going all week long and saying, eh, I don't know. I don't know if he's right. It, and yet they aren't. They're coming out and they're saying he is, uh, he's okay and it's just an ankle thing and they're downplaying it a little bit. And that does concern me. Being a guy who's picking them to win the game. And I'm going, okay, wait a minute. What do, what am I missing here? What do they know that, uh, that I don't know? Further though, don't you think everybody's thrown every possible, uh, let's get pressure on Michael Penix Jr. No, let's drop eight and not pressure Michael Penix Jr. Don't you think everything's been tried in two seasons against this guy? Like there's nothing new that you do to him.
2: I think so, but I also would argue that this is probably the best defense that he's going to be facing in this Michigan defense, the way that they've played all season long. I mean, it's been elite the entire season for Michigan. So I think just with Harbaugh as the head coach, with the Michigan defense, how they've prepared and how they've been all season long, you know, really dominating all their opponents, I think it's just going to be a little bit of a tougher matchup. The one other thing that I really like about this matchup for Michigan, John, is even last week when Washington plays Texas, Texas ran all over him. Average six and a half yards a carry, 180 yep. yards on the ground. Absolutely. I, I think Michigan is going to be able to run the football on Washington and really slow this game down, leave Michael Penix on the bench. And then when he gets in the game, it's going to be a little bit more of a pressure of, "Hey, we got to score a touchdown here. We got to get down the field because we're not going to get very many possessions in this game." So I think Michigan shortens the game because of that, and I think uh, you know just running the football is going to slow down Washington, who wants to play fast and they want to play high up, high up tempo, high uh, high pressure on Michigan. But I think with Michigan slowing it down, go with the running game. I think it'll be it'll be a close game, and I'm not sure that Michigan covers the spread, but I do like Michigan to win the game.
1: All right, back in October, Washington beats Oregon. 36-33. And Oregon ran the football in that game. Uh, 204 rushing yards, averaged 5.1 yards a carry. I thought, wow, what a statement by Oregon. Washington had under 100 rushing yards in the same game. It was a dominant physical performance by Oregon. Fast forward to the conference championship game. I expected that to play out about the same way, but it didn't. Oregon only averaged 120 or gained 124 rushing yards in that game. And Washington ran on Oregon 157 yards the other way and was very effective running the ball, which really made Michael Penix Jr. made the night easier for him. He was 27 of 39, 319 yards, touchdown, interception, and Penix was very good. So I, I get what you're saying. If I'm Michigan, I'm thinking the same thing. I'm thinking two things if I'm Jim Harbaugh. One, I got to run the ball on Washington cuz it does two things. One, it shortens the game. Two, keeps Michael Penix Jr. off the field and, you know, and it, it is kind of what Michigan wants to do. So, if I'm Jim Harbaugh, yes, I I want to come in and I want to run the football on Washington and I saw what Texas did. I saw what Oregon did in the first game. That's something I want to do. Conversely, I want to get a, ru- a pass rush on Michael Penix Jr. that doesn't require me um, blitzing off the corner, it doesn't require me rushing four guys and expecting to get pressure on him. He gets rid of the ball too fast. If you're going to pressure Penix, Arizona State had the blueprint. Early in the season, 15-7 to win by Washington, Arizona State had Washington on the ropes, blitzing the A-gaps. That's all they did is they got right in Penix's face and they hurt him. And I still think Penix was hurt entering that game. I still think he wasn't right going into the game. But they went right at him at the point of attack. And I've noticed that some of the national media members have picked up on this, Joel Clatt being among them.
3: Because it's not just about sacks, but it's about making him uncomfortable. And, and I think that this has played out for us a lot of ways, you know, over the course of the last two decades. We've seen elite passing attacks struggle at times. Like, like for instance, the, the undefeated Patriots in the Super Bowl against the Giants. What happened to Tom Brady in in that game? Well, the pass rush got to him. And and namely, it was the pass rush that was pushed right back into his lap. It's the interior pass rush that I think is most difficult for elite passers because they want clean lanes and they want the ability to step up so that they can put RPMs and velocity on the football because RPMs and velocity allow you to be accurate. When you're on your back foot, you're not accurate. Penix excels with accuracy pitch selection and leverage so michigan's gonna have to make him uncomfortable and in particular push the pocket right back into his lap
1: bingo there you go if you're clat um it it, you know it's a great point make him uncomfortable well oregon tried it a variety of different ways and i think that if you are uh, Michigan, you are looking at the Oregon game, and you are looking at the two Oregon games, and of course, you are watching film of Arizona State, and you are you are watching USC, and you are watching it all. If you are Jim Harbaugh, like you probably started watching it the minute you knew that Washington was in the fourteen playoff, you are breaking down film, you are scouting, but I think in the end, like that Arizona State game was telling to me, and I think you know Oregon State tried to do some of it, and they did a pretty good job on Penix, but I think the rain. Was a big part of why Penix wasn't effective that day. And I this Michael Penix looked healthy to me. And he looked healthy, and I don't think Texas got to him enough, didn't make him uncomfortable. I still think, Stephen, you think it's gonna be a great game, win or lose?
2: I do. I think it's gonna be a close game. And both these teams are prone to play one score games. I mean, we saw this with Washington all season long. The way Michigan plays is they wanna, you know, they want to slow it down. They want to slow down the possessions and have as little and FC as many as possible. So I think it just I think it sets up for a really nice game. Um, whether that's Washington, you know, getting a backdoor cover, making it a one score game or it just being a one score game the entire time. I think it's gonna be a close game. So I I think these are really two interesting styles. And then you talk about you talk about the pressure that what Michigan wants to get, and it's gonna be tough because Washington won the Joe Moore Award as the best offensive line unit in the nation this year. So it's not as if like it's a bad offensive line. It's strength on strength. That Michigan's strength is defensive line, Washington's strength is our offensive line. So Maybe it just maybe Washington neutralizes it and just keeps Penix upright and makes him healthy and lets him throw it down the field. And then we saw against 10 TenX, Texas, uh, Michael Penix Jr. made a couple nice little scrambles during the game. And I think that showed that he's healthy as well. So it could be one of those things where Washington's strengths is just better than Michigan's. But I think Michigan just, you know, it's going to be a little bit different for Washington going up against that Michigan ball club. But I think it's going to be a close game, John, either way.
1: I don't know. I think the, I, I'm betting on the Pac 12. That's what I'm betting my prediction on. Um, And and I feel like I had a a real good feel for the bowl games. I went 6-1 in the seven bowl games that I predicted against the spread. The game I missed, though, um, oddly, was USC against Louisville. I'd picked against USC, and they showed up to play in that game. So we'll see how it goes down. Monday, I will be there. I will be in Houston. I'll be calling into this radio show in front of the game. I'll be writing at johnconzano.com. You can read me there. Grab a free subscription, grab a paid subscription. Whatever works for you works for me. I'll be on the scene as Washington and Michigan are playing on Monday in the college football playoff national championship game. All right, next up, Stu Jackson, former NBA executive, commissioner of the WCC. We're going to talk about the NBA, basketball, the WCC, how the Pac-12 and WCC teams are going to work together next season. Stu Jackson is next. We had some news over the Christmas break Is the uh, West Coast Conference, the WCC, and the Pac-2 or the Pac-12, Oregon State and Washington State, uh, came to an agreement on uh, a basketball and other sports scheduling uh, partnership in which Oregon State and Washington State will be playing uh, in the WCC more or less in 2024. Stu Jackson is the commissioner of the WCC and is joining us now. Stu, thanks for making time. Appreciate you.
4: No, John, I appreciate you having me on, and uh, it's it's great to be with you.
1: I have so many questions. I've got NBA questions. I've got, you know, WCC commissioner questions. I have Stu Jackson questions. I don't even know where to start, but let's start with what I was talking (laughs) about. Oregon State, Washington State, um, and the WCC. Can you give us some background on how that came together, how you felt about it? No,
4: ha- happy to, uh, John. You know, back, you know, as early as this summer, as, you know, national realignment began began to unfold, uh, we really felt as a conference that perhaps uh, because this was football-driven and focused on institutions in the western part of the United States, that there might be an opportunity um, for us if uh you know certain institutions park football in other conferences that we might be the recipient of some of their other sports that would help benefit us strengthen our conference in some of those other sports um you know and it must have been um certainly a premonition because it wasn't too long after that that we heard from oregon state and washington state about the idea of perhaps affiliating three of their sports with the WCC, to which we responded, John, we were interested. But then as they, uh, Oregon State and Washington State, began to um, go about their business of coming to an agreement with the Mountain West for football scheduling, the seriousness of those discussions began to gain steam, and we talk more about not just three sports, but six, then nine, and then eventually 12, uh, inclusive of basketball.
1: I think it works, and especially from a basketball standpoint, I think you have a very strong conference, especially the top half of your conference, really strong, has been strong. Um, How how does this work for the WCC? What, What benefits? What's in it for the WCC?
4: There are several benefits, John. I mean, certainly from a recruiting standpoint for our existing members, as well as Oregon and Oregon State, it help, it's helpful. Uh, in terms of scheduling, uh, there's a great benefit to us just providing more quality, uh, you know, uh, competitive uh, games across all sports. And also, by the way of uh, women's golf and, and softball, it um, serves to round out um, the number of institutions in those sports uh, that we can maintain our uh, qualification, our NCAA qualification. Um, you know, from a broadcast exposure standpoint, having two institutions like this, uh, both on linear and, and digital uh, television, is a benefit to the conference. But more importantly, um, you know, the student athlete experience that our uh, that our athletes will have i, I think it's really been enhanced uh, when you look at you know competing you know across our footprint it just makes sense from a travel standpoint from a budgetary standpoint uh, so the benefits are numerous
1: Stu Jackson with us commissioner of the WCC you know you you've coached in the Pac12 conference you were at Oregon you were an assistant coach there you'd played at Oregon uh, what did, you know, you were at Washington State on Len Stevens' staff. Uh, you know, you give me an idea when you, um, you know, when you see the conference unfolding, just from a personal standpoint, there had to be some feelings there.
4: Uh, yeah, there are. Um, you, you know, uh, I, I'm joking with you, John. So I'll qualify it by saying one of those feelings was I had to really uh, learn to love the beavers. You know, so that, <laughs> that, that's a tough one, but I'm totally in love with Oregon State, <laughs> you know, as long as they benefit uh, the WCC. But, you know, I one thing you didn't mention, I actually played in the WCC when I was at Seattle University for a season. So there are a lot of connections personally uh, to not only the, uh, you know, the, the Pac-12, but also the WCC. So uh, emotions are running high and uh, I couldn't be more pleased.
1: The vision that you have for the WCC, people think basketball. It the conference really could be a premier basketball conference. You have Gonzaga. How do you keep Gonzaga happy and in the fold? And how does that, you know, this this move with the Pac-12 shape your vision?
4: Yeah, it's a fair question, and the the goal uh, or vision, as you mentioned. Is that for this conference, I think it really has great potential, John. You know, for many, many years, it's no secret that the WCC has been extremely competitive across the board in, you know, all Olympic store, all Olympic sports, uh, reaching many NCAA, uh, competitions, um, and, you know, advancing into elite eights and final fours across a lot of different sports. Um, The vision is we can continue to strengthen ourselves from top to bottom in the sport of men's and women's basketball combined with our existing tradition and performance in Olympic sports. I think the WCC conference truly will be something special. And But the key operative word there is we have to continue to strengthen ourselves in men's and women's basketball from top to bottom. And, you know, certainly one of the reasons why Gonzaga has been courted uh, since 2017 is they've been courted because um, other conferences feel, although I don't necessarily agree, feel that they can provide Gonzaga with more and more uh, uh, opportunistic Um, you know, uh, basketball competition whereby year in and year out uh, they can be one of multiple teams to enter the NCAA tournament aside from the financials um, that they can provide. But if we continue to take care of our own business, improve in men's and women's basketball, it makes it, uh, I think, you know, more possible that, uh, you know, Gonzaga may feel that their home is with the WCC permanently
1: um, Stu jackson with us wcc commissioner there's been talk chip kelly has floated the idea of football splintering away um does uh does that make sense to you what what are we not thinking about you're a commissioner sounds simple but then as i talk to ad's they go well it's not that simple what do you see Stu, when people talk about splitting football from the rest
4: Well, what I see, uh, just looking through my WCC eyes, is an opportunity. And, um, you know, that opportunity is present right now with our affiliation with Oregon State and Washington State, whereby, you know, football, if they are separated or there's some sort of super football conference, you know, there is a scenario or a vision that may include playing other sports, Olympic sports, John, regionally. And isn't that what we have here now uh, with an unprecedented relationship between two power five schools in Oregon State, Washington State, and another Division I conference? I think that model or what we're about to experience over the next two years could in fact be a precursor if in fact football does break away and the other sports uh, have a different format elsewhere that makes more geographic In financial
1: sense. I'm struggling with the ecosystem because it feels like a lot of what we're seeing with media rights and the pursuit of money and television flies in the face of higher education. You've worked in the NBA. You've got a great background with college athletics. How do we uh, how do we wrestle and grapple with this, Stu, as we look at the landscape and, you know, how do we hold on to college while it feels more and more like the pros?
4: Well, it's, again, an excellent question, and, you know, the answer to that question may, in fact, lie in the voices of our student-athletes. It will be interesting to me, John, to monitor the reaction or the evolution of the student-athlete voice, uh, as many of these student-athletes are faced with um, compromising their educational experience due to athletic travel, missed class time, albeit that I realize there are more online classes now more than ever. But, you know, the fatigue of doing that, not necessarily in football, John, because it's not as much of an issue when you're playing one game a week. But I'm thinking more of what do you do in volleyball and soccer and basketball when every other week, you potentially are traveling traveling across multiple time zones. What does that do to the student-athlete experience? And it will be interesting to hear their voice over the next couple of years and how that voice shapes uh, the future ecosystem of college athletics.
1: Stu Jackson with us, WCC Commissioner. If I can pivot a little bit to the NBA, we've got a franchise in Portland that you know, is not going to contend for a championship this year. You've played, you've coached, you've been an executive in the league. What, what do you think the Blazers and what should fans be looking for and what should coaches be looking for, executives be looking for from young players who are on a team that, you know, isn't going to probably be a playoff team? There's no way in hell. They're not going to be a playoff team. So what, what, are we, what should we be looking for out of these young players?
4: Well, what you should be looking for, given the, you know, the process, uh, I know that's a favorite word in the NBA, but given the process that the Portland Trail Blazers currently are undergoing, the best thing that you know, fans can look for uh, is hope. And I would say, just based upon you know, what I've seen out of the Portland Trail, Trail Blazers, that I-, I had an opportunity to see them actually live over the Christmas holiday uh, at a home game when they played the Sacramento Kings, there's a great deal of hope there. I mean, when you look at, you know, young players like, uh, you know, like si- Simons or, or Henderson and Kamara and, and you know, they've added some, some players in the middle, some veteran players in, in Williams and, uh, and uh, um, the center from Aiton. Um, there's, there's a lot of hope there, you know, but it takes time to develop, and you have to be patient. But I'll tell you what, when I see a team like Portland, they're exciting to watch and deserving of fans' atten- attendance as long as they keep competitive. And then, you know, down the road, y- you see, you know. I, it's been my experience, though, with teams in the state that Portland's in right now where you've got a really good collection of young players, that affords you the opportunity, one, to, you know, develop assets, and then secondly, the question becomes what you do with those assets to take your uh, franchise to another level. Do you keep that young core players? Do you utilize those assets, you know, in the in, in the trade market? Um, you know, do you collect more uh, first-round picks? But the bottom line is they're off to a great start, and if I'm a Portland fan, I think there's a great deal of hope there.
1: Now we've got teams getting fined for players taking maintenance days and new rules, obviously the the new uh, rest policy, but the league has fined a team uh, for sitting some players. How tricky was that in your time in the NBA to to kind of manage that? Because you were in the league as players started looking around going, well, other star players are getting maintenance days. I want maintenance days. Like That became a thing. How how much a topic of conversation was that for you, Stu? As a uh, as an executive in the league,
4: yeah, it was a major topic of conversation. I remember uh, vividly, John, uh, one of the first times that you know was an aha moment for for the NBA league office, and it was um, it involved, I, I believe, Mano Ginobili and perhaps Tim Duncan, maybe Parker, who at the league office we were made aware that they. We're not going to participate in a game against the Miami Heat, you know. And as a matter of fact, were they, they not only were going to not participate, but they didn't even make the trip. And they were sent home in the interest of rest. And that was the first time I remember having conversations with uh, the San Antonio uh, franchise who I'll now label them as the god- godfather of load management. Uh, you know, uh, conversations about what exactly they did, why, and how, you know, it affected the, the, the league and its brand. And so fast forward to today, it's gotten to a point where, uh, you know, as any professional league is a copycat league, and that's any professional league, and other franchises began uh, participating in load management with their players. Um, and, you know, coupled with the science that was behind it, and it got to a point where it began to not only affect the brand, but, you know, potentially affect viewership. And when, it, you know, for any professional sports you know organization, when your brand is affected, when viewership potentially is affected, uh, you've got to deal with that and, um, you know, come up with a framework or rules, for lack of a better term, to manage it.
1: Do you ever see yourself as a commissioner of a college conference when you're back at Oregon or Seattle or even in the NBA? Did you think that's a goal one day or does this do those opportunities sort of just evolve over time?
4: Yeah, you know, I've been very fortunate throughout my career to be, you know, to have a lot of help John um uh, in my career and I've been I've had some great mentors um who have benefited me greatly. And, you know, whether it's in college or whether it's in, you know, the professional ranks, um, I'm very blessed and fortunate. And did I see myself being a, a collegiate uh, commissioner, uh, you know, 20 years ago? Probably not. But, you know, I had the opportunity to, you know, work with, I, I think, one of the best in Val Ackerman at the, the Big East Conference. And just, um, you know, watching her, Um, You know, lead a conference and lead a group of student athletes, and all the benefits that a conference are able to provide its institutions and the student athletes. You know that was appealing to me, and in part led to um, you know this opportunity and uh, wanting to uh, to get on board.
1: Stu Jackson with us, WCC Commissioner. Stu, before I let you go, uh, just to recap the the, the uh, scheduling affiliation with the WCC in Oregon State and Washington State, it's a two year deal. includes twelve sports, as I understand. Um, you have uh, you know the, uh, the the two conference uh, members that are from the Pac twelve coming into play. Um, help our listeners understand conference championships, automatic bids. You know, let's just just talk basketball for men's and women's basketball. What's on the table? All conference teams. Will you see Oregon State, Washington State players considered for all conference teams? What's on the table? Yeah,
4: no. In terms of just the the affiliation agreement itself, I mean, Oregon State and Washington State are eligible for the WCC's automatic qualifications to all NCA championships. Uh, you know, both those institutions will have the same opportunity as, as our nine full members. Uh, to compete for a WCC title and earn the conference's automatic qualification. Um, That's the way it will, that's the way it's going to work. Um, So, um, you know, both of those schools are part of our media rights agreements, whether it uh, is a part of a linear or digital. So you'll see the beavers and the cougs on our broadcast. And, um, you know, for these two years uh, that that's, how it's going to be? How it's going to work? They're going to be a uh, an affiliate with the WCC.
1: Will all conference teams as well, or just conference championships?
4: Uh, yes, they'll be eligible for um, uh, you know all conference teams.
1: It's fantastic, Stu Jackson. Love having you on. Love to catch up with you again when you're back in the state of Oregon. And uh, thank you for giving us your time.
4: Yeah, no, happy happy to do it, John. And uh, happy New Year to all.
1: Happy New Year. Stu Jackson, there he is, the WCC commissioner. Loved his take two on the NBA. You could feel him just kind of drop right back into NBA mode, talking about resting players. But for Oregon State and Washington State fans, um, you know, look, this buys Oregon State and Washington State some time. Uh, they have offloaded football into the Mountain West with that alliance or that scheduling partnership, and now having an affiliation with the WCC, 12 different sports. Oregon State Baseball, I still think likely to play as an independent. We'll find out more about that as it uh, unfolds. But uh, there it is um, from Stu Jackson, from the horse's mouth, so to speak. Our big splash coming up. Top of the hour, 4 o'clock, Jim Moore, former columnist in the Seattle market, Seattle PI, Tacoma News Tribune, great columnist, great writer, great reporter. Now he's on KJR as a co-host uh, Puck and Jim co-host uh, KJR in the middle of the day there. I join them once a week. Jim Moore's going to join me coming up top of the hour. Draymond Green is on an indefinite league suspension, and he is the subject of our Big Splash.
4: This is the Big Splash.
0: Brought to you by Killer Burger. Voted best burger five years in a row. Killer Burger's 10 rad burger builds will send your taste buds on an epic journey. Killer Burger, the burgers your mama warned you about.
1: Well, Draymond Green will miss his 11th game uh, tonight when the Warriors play the Denver Nuggets. But uh, he's expected to return to the Warriors practice facility in the coming days. This per the NBA, and NBA Commissioner uh, Adam Silver will have the final say on his reinstatement timeline. Remember, Draymond Green was uh, was suspended indefinitely, and by indefinitely, we uh, know that's until Adam Silver says otherwise. A variety of uh, NBA analysts had weighed in on Draymond Green, but uh, here's Joe Dumars, the Executive Vice President of the NBA, explaining why an indefinite suspension for Draymond Green was appropriate
5: a lot of times people get caught up into like a number like what's the number what and we didn't want to do that uh what we wanted to do was first of all we knew that um there would be some level of punishment but we didn't want that to be the focus we wanted the focus to be on how can we help draymond as well and we thought indefinite was the best way to do that so 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 people don't get caught up on here what's the number is it too low is it too high indefinite means get yourself right we want to see you at your best and the best way for you to do that is is to get yourself get yourself mentally and emotionally back to where you need to be and so that's how we got to indefinite
1: i'd like to inform joe dumars that indefinite literally means lasting for an unknown or unstated length of time but i get his point i get what he's saying he had become a distraction his apology after punching yusuf nurkic in the face wasn't really an apology.
6: Uh, he was pulling my hip, and I was swinging away to sell the call. Made contact with him. Um, as you know, I'm not one to apologize for things I meant to do, but I do apologize to you, sir, um, because I didn't intend to hit him. Uh, I sell calls with my arms. I don't fall or to sell a call. I don't. I'm not a flopper. So I was just selling the car because he was grabbing me and pulling my hip back. So I spun away and unfortunately I hit him. And so like I said, I apologize to you, Seth. Um because I didn't intend to hit him. Have you seen the replay? Yeah. How did it look to you on the replay? I mean, I, as I've said before, any replay, you know, if I go look at every replay of everything, um, a replay is they, it's never gonna look good, you know, but like I said, I know my intentions, my intentions were to sell the call. Um, and you know, I also don't think I'm an accurate enough puncher to do a full 360 and, and, and connect with someone. Um, so, it's unfortunate.
1: Draymond Green's agent is Rich Paul of Clutch Sports. He has met with the Warriors general manager, Mike Dunleavy Jr., the team trainer, Players Association, NBA officials. These meetings are ongoing. Uh, remember, the NBA said that Draymond Green had to uh, had to uh, fulfill a certain number of league and team conditions before his suspension would be lifted. Doesn't look like there's a lifted suspension here. Just that he's going to be allowed back now. Warriors coach Steve Kerr said he hasn't had very much contact with Draymond Green over the past several weeks. Says they've texted each other, but quote, "We've been giving him space." And he's been giving us our space. Warriors are six and five since he's been suspended. They don't look right. They're clunky. They don't look right before Draymond went out. This is not uh this was not a good development for the Warriors, who were struggling. Obviously, Klay Thompson was having some shooting problems, but it just feels to me like he's not a good enough player anymore for the Warriors to tolerate the nonsense. So there's part of me that kind of wonders. And if you're a Blazer fan, by the way, there's a silver lining here. The Blazers hold the Warriors' first-round draft pick in the next draft. It's protected one through four, but wouldn't be the worst thing ever if the Warriors went into a tailspin and this pick ended up being, you know, pick number eight, pick number 12, pick number 15. Because the Warriors, if they perform as we expect them to perform, it's probably going to be like pick number 19 or 20 or 21. So there's a silver lining if you're a Blazer fan, but I kind of just think The Warriors are over it. Like, there's a certain amount of nonsense that you will tolerate if the guy is part of, like, a championship effort, and the Warriors are no longer at that point and in that kind of relationship with Draymond Green. Steven, how do you view this whole thing?
2: Yeah, it's one of those things where his production, now he's having a better year shooting the basketball, but you look at his stats of on and off the court, and the Warriors are a much better team when he's not playing, and he's not on the court this season. So I think that's the problem is, that it's not worth it anymore if he's not going to be productive. Now, there's been seasons where he hasn't put up as good as shooting numbers and as good of numbers as he's done before, but the team is so much better with him on the court. So it's it's the combination of, you know, he's 33 years old, almost 34, and he's probably lost a step or two, and the team's just not as good as they once were. So to pay him that type of money and to deal with that kind of nonsense is not worth it for the Golden State Warriors, I think, right now. And I think they're kind of getting into a rhythm with their new players and some of the younger players with, you know, Jonathan Kaminga stepping into the lineup, Brandon Pachemski, rookie, he's stepping into the lineup. Chris Paul's finally kind of getting it going with the Golden State Warriors. They're figuring it out a little bit without him on the court. So it will be interesting to see when Draymond comes back what his role is because, you know, throughout his career it's been very heavy with Draymond on the defensive side and even on the offensive side. Great facilitator. But the Warriors, you know, there's about – you know, there's 12 to 13 good, good solid teams in the Western Conference – and the Warriors are towards the bottom. There's going to be a couple teams that don't even make the play-in, and right now the Warriors are on the outside looking in, and they could finish that way. Like that, That's how good the West is, so they're going to have to figure it out on the fly of how much they want to
1: give Draymond Green, how much responsibility they want to give him going forward. They've been a touch better without him than with him. Not much, but a touch better. If you're a Blazer fan, Blazers have that pick. As long as it doesn't end up at the top four, what's the best case scenario for Portland fans?
2: Yeah, I think the best case scenario is the the Warriors miss out on the playoffs, and whether it's with Draymond in the lineup or not. But I think it's it, there's a possibility where the Warriors, you know, finish with maybe you know the tenth tenth worst record, and they, the Blazers can end up with a top ten pick off of that draft pick. And I think right then, you know, Joe Cronin, you got to give him credit for what he's done. Uh, with those draft picks and you talked to you know Stu, and he said it's all about getting assets well that's a good asset if it's a top 10 pick yeah. so you got to be rooting for the warriors kind of downfall right now if you're a trailblazer but
1: fan. not too much you don't want them in the top no four. yeah you, you don't, you, you, want don't want to,
2: yeah. you don't want them to bottom out but you want yeah. them to still compete i think they'll still compete because they're veterans but at the same time just continue to struggle like this and uh, get the Blazers' top 10 pick
1: a uh a lottery pick in the uh seven eight nine range along with the blazers own natural pick would be pretty interesting Coming up, Jim Moore, KJR Radio in Seattle. How's he doing with Husky Hysteria going on? There's a lot of good people in sports media. There are, despite, you know, what other people in sports media will tell you. There are. they are good people. Jim Moore is one of the good guys. Jim Moore on KJR, co-hosts the show, Puck and Jim, on KJR. Former sports columnist at the Seattle P.I., Seattle Sports, the News Tribune. He's a uh, he's a father. Is he a grandfather? Jim Moore, are you a grandfather? I am a grandfather. Yeah, I saw my uh, my
5: granddaughter Addison yesterday. In fact, yeah, my first one.
1: Give us an idea the difference between fatherhood and grandfatherhood. <laughs>
5: Well, it's probably no different than what other people are going to tell you. I mean, because you can just show up and you know read. Like yesterday, I was reading with her and playing a little pop a shot game with her and <laughs> just kind of hanging out and you know holding her and singing to her and all those kind of things. And then you know at about six o'clock, I was like, well, Grandpa's ready to go now, and. <laughs> So Grandpa left, and then, you know, Grandpa will come back next week. So, yeah, I don't have the full-time responsibilities, but it's sure been fun. You know, it's it's everything everybody said it would be.
1: Is the hysteria around Huskies' national championship game, how has that felt to you in Seattle and in that market, you know, as you do your show and, and you and you see people in the grocery store and, and other places?
5: Well, you well, wants. You want a professional answer or an unprofessional answer? I want though? I
1: want them all. Give them all. Full range. Full <laughs> range, I baby. Can
5: you, I can't really give you much of a professional answer, and I say that for your listeners who have no idea who the heck I am. But I'm a kook, man. I, I just I love Washington State with all my heart, and I'm having a hard time with. Uh, like you know, there was somebody who texted me the other day who went to UW, and and she was like, "Jim, Jim, are you you know are you rooting for us? Are you pulling for us? You know, I mean." you know, it'd be good for the Pac-12, and I'm thinking, well, no, good for the Pac-12. The Pac-12 is over, and part of the reason it's over is because you guys left us, and then I'm just like, you're, you're our arch rival, you know, and I, John, I try and tell myself, like, I'm a grown man. I'm 66 years old, but, I mean, I went to Washington State as a freshman in 1974, and I've been rooting against Washington ever since. I can't help it. It's just, it's the arch rival. It's, it's sports hate. You know, I'm happy. I've got a lot of friends who are Huskies, and I'm Happy for them, but I'm I'm unhappier for me with what they're doing. I want them to lose. They've won 21 games in a row. This is like a cougar's biggest nightmare. (laughs) And the other, other, I you know, and the other night, and I was just sitting. I was in a bar in Bend, Oregon, and you know, I mean, Texas shouldn't have had a chance to win that game. I mean, because Dylan Johnson got hurt, it stopped the clock, and so then Texas gets the ball. I'm I'm telling you, listeners, everything that they already know, and you already know this too, but. So they're down there knocking on the door. I'm, I'm right in front of the TV, and I'm thinking, oh, my God, come on. Come on, football gods. All these years the Huskies have been saying to us, you guys kooked it. You guys kooked it. <laughs> and I'm thinking, this would be one of the biggest choke jobs in college football history if they were to blow that game. And with one second left, I was just like, come on, Quinn Ewers. Can you just find a receiver? I don't know what the hell they were doing throwing it out in the flat on first down. And then he yeah. you know, threw it out in the back of the end zone on second down. I'm going, what are you guys doing? You guys have enough time to get this done and win by one. But did I answer? I don't even know what your question was. But no, no That's I, fine. It, no, you it, answered I, it beautifully. I, I, I work for the flagship station in Seattle for Washington football. And so it was kind of funny the other day because, well, actually it was yesterday, not the other day. Our boss didn't really want to put Jason, Puckett and me on the air on Tuesday. He really wrestled with it and he decided to just kind of and he's a coob too, Jason is. And so he he kind of just decided to go halfway with it. Instead of a 3-hour show, he's going to give us 1 hour. I guess cuz he feels like we won't screw it up too bad in 1 hour, but we could just make a complete, you know, buffoonery out of it in 3 and so, um, yeah, he told me that he, he was just having a hard time trying to figure out if he should put two up on the air, especially if the Huskies win the national championship.
1: But the point is, though, that you speak for a segment of the audience. I mean, there's got to be a segment of that KJR audience that is wrestling with the same stuff you're wrestling with.
5: I, I think so. But you, you want to hear something that makes me a bad Coug? I John, we've talked about it because you, you come on our show I can't believe that Washington's an underdog in this game against Texas and then a, a double-digit dog against Oregon in the Pac-12 championship game. And so finally I just thought, I, I bet on Washington against Texas, but I'm, I'm standing there rooting, <laughs> rooting for Texas. How messed up is that?
1: That is really I had twisted. like 100
5: bucks, I had 100, 100 bucks on Washington and four the other night, but I, I wanted to lose. And I've already bet on, on Washington plus four and a half against Michigan. I just don't think they should be an underdog in this game. Is yeah. Vegas not watching the Huskies? Are, are they not watching them? Do they not They're see not. what we're seeing?
1: The whole country's not watching. You know, I, I don't, I think everyone outside of the Pacific time zone is not watching. They they haven't watched that team all year. If they did, um, at worst, that would be a pick em. Well, that's what I was thinking. It should be a pick em. I I just, I don't
5: know, you know, I'm, I, I guess I've already told you how old I am. I've, I've been watching Washington football forever. When I was a kid, um, I used to go to the games with my mom, and I was a Husky fan growing up, and. Loved Sonny Sixkiller. And so that was my first experience watching a Husky quarterback. And there have been great Husky quarterbacks over the years. But Michael Penix, I don't know who throws a better deep ball than that guy. I mean, you could go down. It's a long list of good Husky quarterbacks. And I've been asking people when they you know come on the show, you know, hey, where does he rate top three all time in Washington history, top five? Where Where is he? And right now I'm thinking he might be number
1: one. In 2015, Oregon played Ohio State national championship every local tv station in every market in the state traveled to the game it was all ducks all the time is the seattle media market doing the same thing do you expect all the tv stations to be live down in you know in houston for the game and all that i'm going to the game jim like do you expect everybody to be there
5: i think so i i know the guys from king tv are going to be down there i'm pretty sure that that Fox 13 has a crew down there, the CBS crew probably be down there. Yeah. It's a, I mean, clearly it's a huge story. And Washington hasn't had something like this since 1991 when they were unbeaten and, and won whatever you want to call the national championship that year. So yeah, it's, it's just a huge story. And, and so I'm, I'm hoping, you know, that if they end up winning, that I'll, you know, be a professional about it and congratulate them and tip my cap and, and then throw up when I get out of the studio.
1: <laughs> Jim Moore, KJR, <laughs> in Seattle with us. Uh, you were at the Seattle PI for 25, 26 years. You went, uh, you know, been in that market on radio and in writing and at the News Tribune, uh, writing columns, and, you know, you've had a long run there. Where does, Where does this rank, you know, when you look at the Seahawks Super Bowls and you look at, you know, maybe some of the, Heyday of Washington State going to the Rose Bowl. Where, you know, this run that Kalen DeBoer is on, the Mariners, you know, in uh, Ken Griffey Jr., like where does this kind of rank or does it fall in a dry spell for Seattle sports where the market needed something like this? Like give us a 20,000-foot view.
5: No, I think it's, you know, if you want to rank them, I, I guess it would be, you know, top five, maybe even top three. I guess you'd have to go with uh, the Seahawks winning the Super Bowl as number one, uh, and the Mariners haven't been to the World Series yet, so you can't really go with them too far up there. Uh, but, you know, I go back to a time when Washington football was the biggest thing in town. And certainly, I mean, the, the pro teams came in, the Sonics, uh, when I was a kid, and then then we got uh, got the other pro teams too. But, no, it's it's right up there. I just I haven't seen a team like this. John, I haven't seen an offense like this because we were talking about Dylan Johnson getting hurt the other night. And I should ask you a question about that because Puckett and I went back and forth on that one um, because of the clock stoppage and how that seemed unfair to me, to Washington, that that they had to stop the clock and they couldn't continue the clock because, because he was hurt. It just didn't make sense. But I mean, even if Dylan Johnson doesn't play uh, in in the national championship game, I think Washington will still win the game. I, I mean, they can be one of those teams that can be one-dimensional, and you still can't stop them.
1: Yeah, and I think it's a tough spot because if you start allowing that injury to not stop the clock, you know, how do, how do teams game that system? I guess you have to stop it. I kind of wonder this. Let me, let me ask you what you think of this. So he gets hurt, and then it seems like Washington has gone way out of their way in the last 72 hours. To kind of say he's okay, he's going to play. I kind of think if he were okay and going to play, they would leave more doubt out there, wouldn't they? I, I, I'm maybe I'm paranoid. I don't know. What do you? How do you read their reaction? And do you think Dylan Johnson is okay? Well, I don't
5: think I don't know what percent he is, but he's not going to be a hundred, that's for sure. But uh, you know, I suppose being the last game, he's going to suck it up. They'll shoot him up with something, and then he'll be good to go. I. I, I, yeah, you know, since you said that, I guess it is a little surprising. There should have been some gamesmanship there. But uh, maybe they just I, – I appreciate that they come out with that because it seems like in
1: college football you don't get that very often.
5: And, and so for them to be honest about it, they think he's going to play, uh, that's a good sign for all Husky fans.
1: What I like about you as a sports columnist over the years is you surprised me. You're a terrific writer and reporter, but you always surprise people. I I just found out that you know you wrote one time about Tiger Woods but you wrote didn't write about Tiger you wrote about his dogs. Did you get to ask uh, him that? Did you ask him about his dogs? Well, <laughs>
5: I was Well, I appreciate the compliment. I I just probably like you, you try and write something that somebody else isn't writing. I just, you know, like I want you, if you're going to come to the Post Intelligence Center and read something I wrote, I don't want you to be able to find it somewhere else, you know, I'm with it, somebody else's writing. And so I went. It was the Masters one year, and I got sent back there to cover the tournament. And Tiger was doing his, you know, pre-tournament press conference, and I got up in the front row, and I, so, I'm getting nervous thinking about it because because <laughs> I'm sitting there, John, and I'm, I'm thinking to myself, you know, everybody, all these golf writers, you know, are asking all these questions about, Tiger, can you defend your championship? Tiger, what what about this? How's the state of your game? All these different things. And I'm just going, kinda of raised my hand and then I was recognized and I go, Jim Moore, Seattle Post Intelligencer. Hey Tiger, I know you got a border collie. Um, can you can you tell me a little <laughs> bit about what it's like what do you think it's like being Tiger Woods dog? And oh, he man. you should have seen him. He brightened up, he started smiling. He was real engaging. I think he was sick of the golf questions. Yes. I followed up, you know, with something about what he feeds him, what he does with him for fun. I mean, I only got one follow-up. And then, but I could feel everyone glaring at me like,
1: (laughs) Oh, the golf writers. Yeah.
5: yeah, Who's this idiot in the front row wasting our time with Tiger Woods and his dog. And I thought, what the hell? I just kind of went back to my room that night and wrote it up and banged it out and, Posted
1: it and <laughs> there you go.
5: Well, and no I one always, else had a Tiger Woods dog column.
1: No, and and you look around the golf media tent and half those golf writers are wearing golf shoes. And it's like, you know, I you're not wearing cleats when you cover football. Like, you know, why are you wearing golf shoes if you're a golf writer? And then you you kinda you're right in, in that he got he gets the same question over and over and over again. And I in when as you were telling that story, I was thinking you know, my very first radio interview, I, I interviewed President Obama on radio. And I got, oh, wow. you know, it was, I was the only radio station. Are you nervous? In the state. I was nervous because I didn't know what to ask him. And before the interview, my wife, who's smarter than me, she said, just ask him about sports. Ask him what, talk to him about mm-hmm. what you want to know. And don't ask him about health care. Don't ask him about, you know, to his, his foreign relations policy. And, and you should have heard it. The minute he recognized we weren't going to talk about all that other nonsense, we weren't talking about the economy or mm-hmm. anything, he pepped right up. He started talking about the White Sox and throwing out the first pitch and being at his kids' uh, soccer games, and suddenly he was very relatable.
5: Yeah, it's funny, John. I, I think you, you try and do the same thing that I always tried to do as a columnist, is just you know, find out who the person is under the uniform. I mean, that's... Like Luke Wilson is a good example. He played for the Seahawks for several years, and when we used to interview him on the radio, I think he appreciated coming on our show because we didn't hammer him with football questions. We just you know, asked him a bunch of personal questions. Now, you can sometimes go too far with the personal questions, but Luke Luke appreciated it. And I think, you know, listeners and, and uh, readers of your column, um, I hope they do too.
1: Jim Moore with us, KJR in Seattle, longtime sports columnist, Seattle PI, In other places, Uh, Oklahoma State today just announced that their quarterback Alan Bowman has been granted a seventh year of eligibility. You got Bo Nix, who started sixty-one games. Dylan Gabriel's played forty-nine college starts. He's you got these guys, Jim, that are staying in college uh, way too long. Is this good for the game? Is it bad for the game? What do you what do you make of all this? (laughs) I know.
5: I hadn't heard that. I, you know, seven years seems a little excessive. I don't, I don't know what, um, what caused that or what, what's prompting the kid to come back. But, I mean, all in all, John, I'm, I'm, yeah, I don't really like where we are with college football, and it's a shame because it's, it's my favorite sport. I mean, I just, I just love Washington State football, and I love Pac-12 football. I, Pac-12 after dark. I don't care who's playing. Arizona, California. I mean, Stanford, I'll watch their games. I mean, it it just bums me out, the whole thing. But if a kid wants to come back for a seventh year, I mean, what's he going to be, like, 25 years old? I mean, I I go back and forth on that because I really, I saw what you wrote, too, um, John, about Bo Nix, and and I appreciated that he came back. I mean, that's a game that most kids like him would have opted out of. I mean, they're playing Liberty. Come on. Like, that game couldn't have meant that much to them in the big picture, but, it seems like Bo Nix was the kind of kid that I like to think that my kids would do, too. Like, you know, play with your teammates one more time. You might get hurt. You might be like the old Miss quarterback who got hurt a couple years ago. And everybody, oh, I shouldn't have played. And, but, you know, I just I just really appreciated that about him, that he came back and did that. And there's just so many. The college, I still will watch the bowls, And um, I still enjoy them. And the part of it's just because I bet on them. But, you know, I mean, it's just so crazy, all the, all the opt-outs. <laughs> I didn't even tell – you know, the other, the other thing that really bummed me out about Washington winning the other night – okay, get this. I, I, I'm sorry. You probably got to go to break no, or something. No, 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 no.
1: I'm, okay, I'm here okay, for you.
5: Okay, so I was in a bowl's pool, and I don't know if this is good parenting or bad parenting, probably, probably a little of both, but, I mean, my kids are into gambling a little bit too, so like father, like son. And, and so we're in this college football bowl's pool, and we're sitting on going into the final game if Texas had won – Mikey, one of my twins, would have won. He would have won the whole thing, sixteen hundred bucks. Wow! I would have finished. I would have finished second, eight hundred dollars. And Stevie, the other twin, he would have finished fifth and won a hundred. So I added it up. I'm going got twenty five hundred. It's not if bad. I can, no wonder I'm standing in front of the TV just shouting and yelling and hoping <laughs> they were going to too it. Yeah. You know. I mean. Yeah. And then, <laughs> you know, after it was over, though, I called Mikey to see if he was okay, and he was like. Am I okay? No, I'm not okay, Dad. He goes, God, I just hate the Huskies so much. And I'm so, I'm going, God, I'm so proud of you, son, for saying that. So <laughs> I feel like I raised him right. But, I, you know, in a way, I'm kind of going, well, okay, it was probably a good lesson in gambling uh, for him to lose like that. So he can see what that you – know, he didn't lose 1600 It was a $50 entry fee. But um, anyway, I'm, I'm just the, rambling here, man. It, I, no, just, but I, it, I
1: can't stand the –
5: Go ahead.
1: Yeah, in the state of Oregon, the you know, DraftKings is the uh preferred wagering site. The uh the tribal casinos can take bets on college games, but uh you know, people who are not inside a tribal casino can't wager on a college game. What's going on in the state of Washington with that? Can you can you use it? Can you can people in Washington bet on the Huskies or not?
5: No, you can't. Um I do it illegally. <laughs> I mean, I'll just admit it to you. I mean Jim I do, you Moore. know, on one of those, offshore, one of those <laughs> offshore sites. Like, what, is somebody going to come by and just cuff me or something, you know? There you goes. Knock,
1: knock this. on your. We're going to hear sirens in the background. <laughs> Jim. <laughs> like, yeah, go
5: ahead and lock me up for betting, you know, 20 bucks on a college football game if you want. But, no, to answer your question, you can't bet on Washington or Washington State. And I don't know if they're worried about being too close to the teams. Like, there might be some point-shaving. Hmm. Or something going on. Um, It's kind of crazy what they have too. The tribal casinos. It's all. I mean, they've got sports books, and you go in there and you feel like you're in Vegas. Uh, But you, you can download their app, but the app doesn't work unless you're in their parking lot. It just doesn't make sense. If you're gonna have an app, yeah. No. So I would think that if you drove to the casino to get in the parking lot, so the app would work, that they would want you to come in. Maybe buy a couple beers, you know, while you're gambling. But it, it's a weird one. But no, you can't you can't legally bet on the Cougs or the Huskies
2: here.
1: So so here's an angle that I just thought: like if you, you and I are working at the Seattle PI, do you think state legislatures or um, those who would benefit would have looked at the game, the Texas Washington game, and rooted for Texas, saying? Hey, now we can take bets on the college football playoff game, but because Washington's in the game, how much revenue is going to be lost? I wonder. No, I know it's it's insane. I, I just I don't understand
5: it. I what do you think it is? What, do you think it's the possibility of point shaving and getting the kids? Uh, cause you're I think so it's close? the because the, I, mean, I think the kids, kids yeah. now with the nil deals, I don't think they're going to be interested in that as maybe as much as they might have been in the past.
1: Then they can monitor all that stuff. So I think it's probably just more the illusion that they have control, and we're not totally selling out. Now, if Washington or Washington State are involved in the game, you can't bet on it. But they can they can track all that. If somebody places a hundred thousand dollar bet on the Huskies, all of a sudden, you know, they can go back and look and go, okay, did was this a legitimate wager? So I think it's just the illusion of control and ethics. But you know, in the end, it's still I guess, gambling. But that, but-
5: yeah, no, you're right. I think that's a good point. I mean, if Texas have won, I'm sure they'd be, there'd be a lot more money coming in um, Monday night than there than there is now.
1: Hundred percent. All right. So for the record, you would like Washington to lose, but you're betting on Washington.
5: Correct. I know that that doesn't make sense. <laughs> that doesn't make sense at all. I've also got I got twenty five bucks on Washington at seven to one to win the whole thing. I, wow. I figured I might as well. I mean, what's that? One hundred seventy-five bucks. I I really don't want to win that one though. Just just as a Krug, you know, it's like it's kind of funny though because Husky fans don't feel that way about us, but they certainly do toward the Ducks because we had we had Cam Cleveland on today, former tight end at Washington. He's a color analyst on the broadcast, and he admitted that if the Cougs were in the national championship, so, so Cam's got a great imagination, even imagining the Cougs being in the national right. championship game. Right. He said, he said one hundred percent, he'd be rooting for us. And then I said, what about the Ducks? And there was this long pause. Long was silence, like, yeah, yeah. No, no, couldn't do it for the Ducks. So Interesting. that's what I try and tell Husky fans. I just say, it's just like what you guys feel
1: toward the Ducks that we feel toward you.
5: Yeah. And they still don't quite understand that, but oh well.
1: All right, Jim, I'm going to let you go, but uh, one last question. Uh, Washington State, Oregon State. You know, they, they, they're buying some time, clearly, with the partnerships with the WCC and the Mountain West, offloading football to the Mountain West for a little bit. How are you feeling now after the settlement and uh, some chaos with Florida State? Does it make you feel encouraged at all that Oregon State and Washington State eventually rejoin Power 5 football? or Are you still sort of shaking your head at what happened?
5: Well, you told me on Tuesday I should feel better. And so <laughs> I'm trying to feel better about it. You did. You told us on our show because I asked you, you know, and you said, "Yeah, yeah we should be encouraged." And I, and you know, I have so much respect for you and what the job you do covering this conference. That um, you know, I'm I'm looking at it like that, and I, it's hard for me not to be a skeptic and cynic because that's kind of what I am. But right. I, I I like what you're telling me, and I like how we're fighting back, and we're not just saying. Oh woe is me! I mean, I just I I mean I'm I'm Pack Two. I mean, in the bowls pool, I was Pack Two for life. That was my team name, you know. I mean, I just I love my school so much, and I've always loved the beads too. And I can't get enough of the chainsaw, man. Whenever that chainsaw is going, I'm all fired up, you know. Let's go beads, you know. <laughs> I love so it. So I'm hoping that we can we can just kind of bond together and make something out of it. In my ideal world, I want to see Washington and Oregon crawling back asking us some after all these flights you know 30,000 feet six hours to wherever they're going to go like I'm really looking forward to those games against Rutgers I'm sure those kids are going to really enjoy that and then I want them to come crawling back and then just kind of going please will you take us back please take us back And, and I'm hoping that we just say screw you we're not taking you back get the hell out of here you ditched us we don't want you so anyway I just live in a dream world John.
1: Jim Moore, KJR, in Seattle. Jim, good luck to you on Monday in this title game. Hope you win your bets, and uh, may, I hope it works out for you one way or another. Okay, John. Thanks for Appreciate having me. Appreciate you. All right, there he is, Jim Moore. He's a grandpa now. You know, some authenticity there. I love that. You know, he's, he's being real. Stephen, can you relate to that at all? Like, here he is. He's wagering on Washington and rooting that he loses.
2: I can't I can't do that. Like if I'm betting on a team, I got to root for my bet. Like even if it's a team that I hate. But I it would be it would be hard, I will say. Like if if you know, like you said, if the Cougars got the national championship, that's a set you don't say. If the Blazers got to an NBA finals and I really thought they were going to lose, I, I don't know that I can make that bet. I, I think I would just have to not bet on the game, but if I make a bet, I'm going to root for my bet to win. G- green over everything.
1: He's actually in a in a advantageous position because there's a spread there. Where, you know, he's getting how many points now? Is it five and a half? Yeah, Four.
2: yeah. He, he can hope Michigan wins by three, yeah. and then he wins both those things. So, I mean, it's he, a great spot. Yeah.
1: So he can say, I'll take the five and a half, and a close loss works for Jim Moore. Anna's going to pop into the studio. Uh, we're going to get a visit later in the show from Killer Burger. They want to pop on. They've done something good for the BFT Foundation and kids in the community. Uh, one of their uh, franchisees will be joining us just for a, a quick call later in the show. I want you to hear about it. Plus... Punch it audio in the 5 at 5. Still at head. Leave it here. Well, we heard from Jim Moore of KJR in Seattle. He's a diehard Washington State fan. He's got real mixed feelings about the national championship game on Monday. He went to Washington State. He hosts a radio show in the Seattle market. He uh, He's hearing a lot of it. On tomorrow's show, we will get a visit from Softy from uh, KJR as well. Now, Softy's the opposite. Softy is a... Diehard Husky fan. He lives it. He dies it. You know that. If uh, if uh, you know you're a longtime listener of this uh, show, you know Softy's out.
0: Yeah, yeah, because UW is just in it for clicks, and we do our talking with our pads. That's what we do here at Oregon, right? So I, I can't wait for UW if they win this game on Saturday. I want to walk into Lanning's post game presser and ask him, "Hey Dan, how many clicks do you think UW got with this win today over your football team?" But
1: yeah, he, he he didn't do that. Tell yeah. me, am I crazy for picking Oregon? I think Oregon's the better team. I think no. they're a more complete team.
0: No, I just told you. I think it's going to be an embarrassment if Oregon loses the game. And you just said, why? They're, they're, a, they're a way more complete football team. I mean, John, everything that Washington does well, Oregon has an answer for. UW number one in total offense. Okay, fine. Oregon's number six in total defense. U-Dub number one in passing offense. Okay, fine. Oregon's number five in passing defense. Uh, how about u number six in sacks allowed in the country? Okay, fine. Oregon's defense is tied for eighth with 18. Everything U-Dub does well, Oregon has a response. Everything U-Dub does weak, Oregon is good at. Washington number 62 in total D. Oregon number two in total offense. U-Dub 102nd in rush uh, offense. Oregon is 20th in run defense. The Huskies cannot get after the quarterback. Oregon does a great job of protecting the quarterback. This would be an absolute embarrassment, embarrassment, for Dan Lanning and Oregon to lose this game to Washington because on paper they are better in every single category. You don't get UW now. you got to wonder as an Oregon fan if Dan Lanning can ever get it done.
1: Softy, I asked Dan Lanning about that. The very next day. Yeah, I mean, ultimately,
0: I guess that guy, I don't, I don't know who he is, but he's not going to play in the game, so it doesn't really matter, right? I mean, we have to focus on the reality of who is playing in this game, our players, right? I don't get to play in it either. So um, it's really about how, what our players are going to do and what they're going to you know, execute when it comes
4: to game day. Here's what I know. There's two really good teams that are about to play in this game, and they're both really talented, and both are certainly capable of winning, and it's going to be about who performs the best. Um, you know, It's a great
0: matchup. I don't think it's ever been – this highly ranked. Like, um, not that rankings matter at all, but I think it does. You know, show that you're talking about two really good teams. So we're gonna go out there and play the game and
5: and uh, see what see what happens.
1: There it was. Oregon lost by three at Seattle. Lost by three in the conference championship game. If Washington wins at all, does Oregon do those losses feel a little better to Oregon? Worse? I don't know. Anna's popped into the studio. Stephen, Anna, let's kick that around. Washington wins it all. Does Oregon go? Hey, we only had two losses this year, and both were to the national champion. And do they feel better about their season because of it? Absolutely,
7: I think so. I mean, it's validation for them that you know they lost to a team that wound up going on and winning the national title.
2: I Stephen, uh, completely disagree. I think it <laughs> was. I, I think if if that's me, and I'm an Oregon fan, I'm thinking that should have been us. That should be us winning the national championship, and not only that, that we did not even get there, but it's the rivals that our hated rivals that we hate more than anything. They get the championship. Like it should have been us that got to the, the national title. But it again.
7: wasn't. Like, but, yeah, but sure that fit. hypothetically close. playing in Oregon, but fan, they were, But it wasn't. You close is not it. But they just didn't get the wins.
2: That should have been us. That's what they're saying. Because they, they would say they're a better team. They should have won the game. They just made a couple mistakes. Had they converted one fourth down, you know, had they not, you know, gone three and out in the first drive in the champ- Pac 12 championship game, that should have been Oregon in the national title game. And
1: that would be them taking on Michigan right now. I guess you could say, essentially, if Washington wins it, you could say that Oregon lost the national championship game twice. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> like yeah. in the same season. Okay. You know, because because if Oregon beats Washington. At Seattle, and I do think Oregon was the better team that day. To Dan Lanning's point, two really good teams are going to play. Whoever, you know, executes, makes the plays, they win the game. I think Oregon played better in that first game and should have won the first game. And I kind of wonder if Oregon wins that game, if Washington's season is different. Because Washington goes on and what? Plays all these close games against Arizona State, Oregon State. Washington was playing for the perfect season all along. I just wonder if Oregon had put a dent in it.
7: This is one of those yeah. stupid sports things that well, I do It's a stupid don't... sports
1: show. Come I, know, on.
7: I just don't understand. How do you say that Oregon played better when in the end
1: they're not the team with the W? Well, you know? they, I just think Oregon played better than Washington, and Dan Lanning didn't kick the field goals. He decided, hey, I'm going to go for it, and it bit him. And I, you know, I think if Oregon would have kicked one of those field goals, certainly they would at least been in overtime. Probably would have played the end of the game different. You know, if it, you know, maybe they don't go for it. I don't know, but I think Oregon was that close. I, I actually agree, Anna, because I don't know why you're arguing that side. Because I think Oregon should feel good about it. Like if Washington wins at all, your only two losses came to the team that won it all. Right. That's better than the team that was the runner up. Well, like,
7: you know, when Oregon played Georgia in their season opener, away, they played them... 49-3. to In Atlanta and got stomped by them. Like, it was so good, right, that Georgia went on and did well that season. Yeah. Like, it was good for Oregon. Everyone
1: went, okay. But it was bad
2: that Oregon lost that bad. But did anybody care about that at the end of the
1: year? Uh, I I noted it. I think some people did. I think some people felt better about getting curb stomped by a really good team. Versus getting curb stomped by a team that finished eight. Yes. You know?
2: Does it make any difference that it's the rivals? It's Washington. Like, I mean, Oregon fans and Washington fans hate each other. They can't be rooting for Washington. But
1: isn't this a Pacific Northwest thing? Like, I I keep coming back to that. We just heard Jim Moore say it wasn't. Like, you know, there is a division right there in Seattle. At his own radio station, they don't want to put him and puck on next Tuesday. If Washington wins the title, they'll only have a one-hour show. They don't want to give him a full three hours because they're afraid they're just going to rain on the damn thing. And so <laughs> they're going to put right Softy on wall to wall. That's what they'll do. It'll just be an hour, oh. uh, three hours of Softy on his own show. Can you imagine? He'll... Softie's coming on this show tomorrow.
7: He won't even need to take any callers, Softie. He'll just go for three hours.
1: Well, he's, uh, he's, gonna, um, he's coming on tomorrow's show. Right here. What and kind of so,
7: psychological warfare is he going to bring on tomorrow's show? Well, That's some, what I want to
1: know. Somebody asked me.
0: The Oregon Ducks are sitting there at what two and three? Is that right? Over Yeah, two and three, John? Two and three. Okay, they're two and three, and I'm still looking at flipping ESPN, sending out Twitter alerts because of the uniforms that Oregon's going to wear for the game on Saturday. Who gives a damn? They're two and three. They're a non-factor from a national perspective, and ESPN is sending out alerts telling us what the hell uniform combination Oregon's going to wear on Saturday? Why do I care? And why should anybody care about that? And what the hell is this web foot nonsense? Are you kidding me? <laughs> How ridiculous is that? You know what? Get a kicker, kick an extra point, and wear the same damn jersey for every home game like every other state and college football team does.
1: Well, he's wrong about that. Now everybody's changing jerseys, changing helmets, wearing a bowl game helmet, whatnot. So he's wrong about that. He's on tomorrow's show, so we'll get more of Softy tomorrow. I'm excited for that.
7: I wonder what he'll say.
1: I, I, somebody asked me, is Softie going to Houston? Yeah. Uh, that's not even the question. The question is, is he already there? That's, you know what I mean? You know what I mean? The team arrives, I think, Tomorrow. Uh I kind of wonder if Softy is already camping like outside the stadium.
7: He'll be on the tarmac with a welcome sign. He
1: he was really funny when I reached out to him because I was I reached out to him and I said, hey, uh, I want to get you on the show. And, you know, it it, it was almost like he needed an assistant to do his booking because he was like, I'm just very busy, but I'm going to make time for you. I'm going to make time for you. So he's coming on tomorrow. Oh, that should generous, be a lot of fun. generous of him. The Five at Five's coming up. Punch It Audio in the 5 o'clock hour. Um, Killer Burger, you know, they make a great burger. I'm just going to say that. But secondarily, they have done a good thing. They're going to tell us about it coming up here in a minute. And I talked about The Boys in the Boat, oh, the movie so out. Good. Don't spoil it. Don't say what happens. Don't say anything about the movie. But tell us about the feeling you had when you watched the movie.
7: Um. My feeling, well, I mean, it was surprisingly emotional. You know, I felt like, like I, I'm not a huge sports movie person. I'm not sure that I've seen Rudy or if I have, I don't, I'm not, you know, all these movies that you talk about as being like the classic sports movies don't register for me. But that's what I was thinking as I was watching it. I was like, oh, wow, George Clooney, who directed it, has really captured... What I think is the essence of a sports movie. And I wondered, I actually wondered if you would rank it up there oh, yeah. with those kind of classics like The Sandlot and Rudy and, you know, whatever it's other sports. It's a different
1: genre of movie than The Sandlot. Okay. You know, just uh, even though they're both sports. Sure. It's a different feel to the movie, but it's, I don't want to give away too much of It's it just really good, really rich. And you were doing this. We do this thing when you want when we want to go see a movie. You'll read off the movie names. Yeah. And you read off like you know. Can you remember what you read off? You read off a couple of movies, and I was like, eh, eh. <laughs> Probably like some, Barbie, whatever. <laughs> eh. Some action movie. And then you said the boys in the boat. Yeah. And you I, like flipped out. I went yes, 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 yes. That's the movie. Yeah. Called, that's there's no other discussion. Stop right there. <laughs> okay. So I encourage people to go see it. My fear is that it doesn't have like you know Spider Man's not in it. You know, yeah. Thor's not in it. You know, you don't have, uh, you know, it's not Godzilla versus King Kong. It's just a really good movie. I hope people support it and go see it because you know what happens? They'll make more good sports movies if if Mm -hmm. people do that. Mm -hmm. So I think all of our listeners go see the damn movie. The Boys in the Boat. It's great. Make it a date night. Go with your friends, whatever you want to do. Take your kids. It's that kind of movie. Leave it here. The BFT. We were talking about sports movies in the last segment you mentioned the sandlot i think this um this boys in the boat movie is going to get some run for being a top 10 sports movie you know it doesn't have al pacino in it you know it doesn't have that kind of star power but it's a great story mike's in fairview mike has called in mike what's on your mind
5: john you guys are totally missing the point
4: you cannot as a duck fan Want the Huskies under any circumstances to win the national championship. Okay, it doesn't make you feel better, it makes you feel worse. Because how many times have the Ducks been in the national championship game? A couple of times we have not won. We cannot have the Huskies win the national championship. So I am all blue Hmm. go, Michigan, and um, crush the Huskies.
1: You're all for that. I, I, you know, I'll buy your logic, and I think. There are others that are on board there. Do you think the peripheral sports fan, kind of the non-diehards, are just going, it's a Pacific Northwest thing? That's me.
7: Yeah. Yeah. For sure. As somebody who grew up here in a city that most people didn't even know where it was, you had to explain, like, well, we're south of Seattle and we're north of California. Um, For me, I... I enjoy when any team from the Pacific Northwest goes and does something and is in the national spotlight because I'm like, hey, it lifts us all up. You know, it puts the spotlight on the region, and I don't see that as a bad
1: thing. Rising tide lifts all boats.
7: That's the phrase. Seeing so it that, that's thinking.
1: good for the region. But um, you know, I'm I'm a 49er fan. I don't particularly care for the Seahawks. I didn't find myself pulling for them in the Super Bowls or whatever. Because
7: you're a 49ers fan. Like, that's rooted in who you are.
1: That's right. So. You're damn right. I didn't have an, you know. That's your team now. You know that. What? You got the the Niners. You got the Niners on uh, the wedding day. Sean's in Vancouver. (laughs) Sean, what's up, man?
8: Hey there, John. Hope you and your family are well. Um, So, real quick, I lived in Houston 12 years. So, if you need any advice about where to uh, eat, let me know. Um, But uh, I think you guys were talking about what if uh, Oregon had beat Washington, maybe leaving both teams at one and one. You absolutely know that the committee would have found a way to put Georgia in instead of either one of those
1: teams, 100%. 100% would have got (laughs) left out. Uh, Oregon would have had to win them both. I kind of wonder if Oregon won the first game, if Washington might have lost other games and maybe not ended up in the title game. You know, maybe it would have been somebody else. I don't know. Um, We'll we'll see. Sean, give me an idea. Houston feels very spread out to me. It reminds me of San Jose, California, kind of spread out and sprawling. Am I right? Yeah.
8: Yeah. uh, Houston is is, uh, unbelievably huge. It's about the size of Rhode Island. Um, Actually, I think it's bigger than that now since they put in what's called the Grand Loop, which is a third loop outside of the city. I was there about uh, two months ago. Uh, Visiting friends and um, everything's measured in how long it takes you to get there. How is it's 45 minutes away? It's an hour away. There's no miles. Um, So yeah, it's it's what what I mean. You know, don't obviously don't tell me where, but what part of Houston are you staying in?
1: Um, I am uh, not sure. He doesn't know. I'm at the media hotel, and I generally check that as I'm getting (laughs) off the plane. (laughs) Where should Uh, he
7: eat though? Is the question. yeah. That's where his, where that's am I going to be what he
8: asks you. Well, bar, number one, barbecue, because being from Texas, Texas barbecue is the best. Um, you got do uh, you got to do Tex-Mex Place. There's a chain called Chewy's that's really good. Okay. There's more of a local place called Molina's that are just there in the Houston area that's very good.
1: Writing these uh, down?
8: Yeah, yeah. Uh, right. I
1: appreciate you. That's good.
8: Yeah, man. You stay safe out there.
1: Thank you. I appreciate that. I I I, agree. I When he said Tex-Mex, I thought he was going to give me Chevys. Yeah. <laughs> When he said, it's kind of a chain, I was like, don't give me Chevys. You know? You got to check out this place.
7: I just like that he's like, where are you staying? And he just clearly doesn't know you because you're, you're such an in-the-moment kind of person. Well, and it's like, I, mm, I'm dealing yes. in the now. Exactly.
1: You know? <laughs> I'm dealing with what's happening. Do you remember when my parents went to spring training in Arizona and they came back raving about this place called the Claim Jumper? That was in Arizona. They had never seen one before. And they were like, we found this really good restaurant right there in, you know, right around spring training. It was yeah. big, big diversion for my parents to yeah. go to spring training. So
7: many menu choices. Yeah. The entrees Have were Have you ever huge. heard, there's this
1: place called Claim Jumper. There's Check this it nice Italian
2: where... pizza spot by my house called Domino's. I don't know if you ever heard it.
7: It was like Michael Scott from The Office yeah, and
1: I was just going like, to
7: New York talking about Sabaros.
1: I was like, there's like 200 of those. Oh. Uh, Killer Burger.
7: Yeah. Speaking of restaurants.
1: Speaking of restaurants, and my favorite burger, by Good the way. food. Um, we did a remote broadcast at the West Lynn location of Killer Burger not that long ago. And then you may remember that the East Vancouver Killer Burger was having kind of their uh, grand reopening opening. They were, you know, and they were they were wanting to do something good for the community and so they created kind of a promotion in which the BFT Foundation benefited. Um here to talk about it, Nate Barrell, who is the owner and operator of the East Vancouver franchise of Killer Burger. He's joining us now. Nate, how are you, man?
9: Hey, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me back on. Appreciate it.
1: You bet. Uh, Hey, do you have a dog in the fight, so to speak, with Washington playing against uh, Michigan in the national title game?
9: (laughs) You know, people are a lot happier when uh, Washington wins up here, and uh, I think they celebrate, they buy burgers, they come Mm -hmm. out. So I'm going. Uh, I'm going Washington on
1: this one. Smart man, <laughs> businessman all the way. Love that. Yes, Love that. Hey, uh, I want <laughs> to thank you for uh, making the BFT Foundation the beneficiary of your fundraiser. You know, I know you guys were doing a kind of a grand reopening, and and uh, you were looking for a charity. And Anna, if you want to maybe for a second just talk about the BFT Foundation, and then we'll let Nate take it over because. They have, uh, they've done some good things here.
7: Yeah, I mean, just real quick, the BFT Foundation, we help um, kids in the area um, do all kinds of activities that, as we all know, cost a lot now, whether it's sports or the arts or getting help with academics. I mean, uh, we just don't want money to be the barrier for kids to be engaged in these um, activities that often tie into school performance and um, just in, having joy in their
1: life. Yeah. And so, Nate, tell us about the, what, what Grand Reopening, what was sort of the, the reason for doing this and and opening the, the East Vancouver location?
9: Yeah, for sure. So um became a franchisee in Vancouver on the other side of town in Hazel back in 2020. Um, opened up another Killeburger location in Vancouver. And then the East Vancouver location was our original Vancouver location, but it's a corporate store. So... Um, that's where I started. That's where a lot of my team started and really had my eye on that to, uh, round out, you know, Vancouver and, uh, wanted to remodel it, bring it up to date, you know, all the, all the fun stuff. And I really like the team over there too. So, um, we swooped in, we got involved with them, you know, last year we remodeled the heck out of it and, uh, did some cool updates for the team and all that. And then, uh, just want to let everybody know about it. So we did the grand reopening, um, getting involved with, uh, uh, foundation or you know charity or something to you know give back is usually what killer burger does when we open a, a new location so i wanted to follow suit with that store uh we met you guys and lined up perfectly with the you know bft foundation and uh your mission and all that so wanted to sync up with that um we love doing you know events fundraisers all that with sports so you guys' foundation was a, a great pick for us and i can't wait to do more with you guys on it so
1: Well, we want to thank you, and I don't know how much you raised specifically, but if you want to, you know, make that public, I think, you know, people should support Killer Burger because they are supporting the community. We got about 30 seconds, Nate, but how much did you raise the day?
9: Uh, So we did a dollar from every beer and half of every burger and fry purchase, so $5 for all those. Total $2,685 were sent in your way. Oh, wow. That's field
1: trips and musical rentals and (laughs) sports fees. And there's going to be a lot of kids in the East Vancouver area who benefit from that. And thank you, Nate. Thank you. And thank Killer Burger for, for your big heart.
9: You guys as well. We really appreciate the partnership. Thanks, guys. All
1: right. There he is, Nate, from East Vancouver's Killer Burger. Now you feel good when you go into Killer Burger. Not only are you getting a great burger, you're helping the community. It's a win, win, win. Really do thank uh, the folks at Killer Burger for buying in, supporting the Bald Face Truth Foundation, BFT Foundation. Really uh, means a lot to me, and I think it more importantly means a lot to the kids who end up benefiting and being able to participate in summer camps and drama camps and theater productions and field trips. BaldFaceTruth.org if you want to know more about the BFT Foundation. Anna's got the 5 at 5. We've got Punch It Audio coming up in the 5 o'clock hour as well. If you've missed any of this show, this is a reminder to get here earlier. We do podcast it, though, for your convenience. You can find that podcast wherever you get a podcast. If I have to explain to you where you find a podcast... I have a sense that you may have trouble finding the podcast. You know, your VCR is probably blinking at you. Maybe you don't care about the blinking. Anna's got her five big stories. I can't wait to see what she thinks are the five biggest stories. Anna, you ready? Yep. Let's do it.
3: The Five and Five.
1: Anna's ready to do it.
8: Number one.
7: I got to know what you think about this. Antoine Winfield Sr., the father of Tampa Bay Buccaneers safety, Antoine Winfield, is blasting the NFL publicly. Instagram post. His son was left out of the Pro Bowl. And he's not the only one that was like a a, a notable snub uh, this year. But I just got to know what you think about Daddy chiming in and saying that he demands a recount. Someone has explaining to do. Says there's no way in hell Buda Baker goes to the Pro Bowl instead of my little man with no stats. I know how important Pro Bowls are on the resume, and it just so happens to be his contract year.
1: Yeah, that's a dad who loves his kid. Okay, I, but I, I don't think that that should be the reason why uh, anybody makes somebody a Pro Bowler or not. Parents parents should not be voting on that stuff. You know what I mean? Like that should not be a but parent vote. It's
7: also it's like the fans that vote for this, right? Like the Pro Bowl. I think it's the it's a fan vote. So I mean, he's like blasting the NFL, but it's really you know the fans that vote that count for at least a third. Of the Pro well, Bowl ballot. It's a
1: consensus vote of fans, players, and coaches. So it's one third fans, one third players, one third coaches. And and the reason why they let the fans in is because the fans who vote in this are the type of fans who watch the game. And the Pro Bowl's been a historically difficult watch. So you know, there's fan voting, there's player voting, there's coach voting. So it's a good parent. Like that's a good dad. I, I expect, Is it though? Yes, I well. Here's an a here's a here's a uh I guess a, a related story that I can tell. Now. <laughs> Jeff Garcia who I grew up with. Uh-huh. was obviously playing in the NFL and he played in pro bowl and was a good player. His dad had a habit of calling into Bay Area sports talk radio shows, okay? Anytime his de- his son was being criticized. Oh boy. And it got to the point where the general manager of the 49ers and the coach had to pull Jeff in and say, can you get your dad to stop calling these radio shows? Jeff's mother loved that woman. Grew up with her. Yeah. She's good friends with my mom.
7: Yeah,
1: um, She had an incident on an airplane where she was sitting on an airplane and the person in the row in front of her started talking trash about Jeff. <laughs> now the 49ers are this, but that Garcia quarterback, whatever. And I think she got kicked off the plane. (laughs) His parents love them. No, like I get it, but I would be if I
7: were the kid in this situation, the NFL player. I would be so embarrassed. I don't. I wouldn't want my dad chiming in to defend me publicly.
2: But isn't the difference that Antoine Winfield is like a really good player, so like he has some like uh, validity
1: like there's some beef to it no like like he, has, some, he has validity yeah. to what he's
2: saying like he's mm-hmm. I mean yeah he's favoring his son but at the same time like he says yeah I'd be the one who would know uh, like instead of me like yeah. if my son I like, hey you should be first team what, what did you do nothing yeah
1: that's right mm-hmm. I guess I guess there's some validity to it is it embarrassing Steven is it embarrassing for the player that dad's coming to the rescue uh, not. I don't think the or way. Or charming? Is it uh, charming?
2: I think it can be embarrassing. I don't think this is an embarrassing situation. I think like mm. the way Levar Ball did it, like that was embarrassing. <laughs> but yeah. like this, I don't think is necessarily embarrassing. And like, it just it just comes across differently.
7: Okay.
1: I still think it's a parent with a bullhorn at a game, and the kids in the cr- in the <laughs> field, and you're going, "Please, Dad, don't, don't." I don't know. Number two. Go, number two.
7: Yesterday, we talked about Tyreek Hill and the house Yeah, what
1: happened? That big old house caught on fire.
7: Uh, The fire department's saying that uh, they believe a youngster inside a bedroom at his home started the fire, a child playing with a lighter.
1: Oh, man.
7: Not clear if the child is related to Hill or how exactly the flame was ignited, but it was described officially as accidental so no further investigations are
1: taking place. So is this just a this is like an after school special. Don't play with flames, don't play with a lighter, don't play with matches. You, know, you can burn your house down, kid. <laughs> I mean it's a good outcome though, isn't it? It's a positive outcome. I guess. Like no nobody hurt. nobody died, nobody got hurt. <laughs> People aren't going to feel sorry that Tyreek Hill might have to spend a couple of nights in a hotel or whatever, you know what I mean? Like this is about as good a fire as you can have, right? I Harmless, yeah. you know?
7: Yeah, a lesson in there for all.
1: There's a lesson there, yes. Don't play with lighters, okay? If you're listening to the show and you're in the backseat of your parents' car, bl- first of all, thank your parents for listening to the Bald Face Truth radio show. <laughs> you have good parents. If you're currently in the backseat and your dad, your mom, your grandpa, your grandma, your aunt, your uncle's driving you around, you're listening to this radio show, you have a good example of a parent who's in charge of the radio right now <laughs> secondarily don't play with matches don't play with lighters stay away from the uh, the electrical outlet sockets and uh, don't dive over the uh, sofa head first if you've got a coffee table on the other side wow. I can speak from experience Just
7: covering all bases man. there you go number three. Uh, Micah Parsons with the Dallas Cowboys explained recently how he prepares for Brandon Aubrey's field goals. And I love players and their superstitions. He apparently chooses to sit on the bench when Aubrey steps onto the field for a kick. Nice. He was asked whether he would stand up, like if, you know, Aubrey was kicking a field goal to win the Super Bowl. And Parsons (laughs) said, nope. Nope, I'll be praying. You can never jinx it. I might stand up, and the weight of the earth might tip. I just need to let him be.
1: You Gotta let it go. You got a <laughs> you got a system. You got you know it works for you. That's a good thing. Uh,
7: Aubrey, by the way, hasn't missed a field goal so far this season. So
1: it's working. <laughs> Can't Do you think? It like there are fans, and I I know people who think they have some kind of uh, influence over what happens when they're watching on TV. Yeah. They're wearing a certain uh-huh. shirt, yeah. sitting in a certain spot. A rally cap. We all know people that believe that they have control over what is happening in Minneapolis while they're sitting in Portland. Steven, do you know anybody like that?
2: Um, I'm Racking my brain. I don't know that I do. Not do you tonight. have a
1: superstition? Are you that way? No, do you have not the- at all.
2: Not even close. I am uh, the farthest from superstitious, I think, than anybody. Although I do think when I bet on a team, they're going (laughs) to (laughs) lose. Number four.
7: Well, uh, Ciara, that's how you say your name, right? Ciara, the wife of uh, Ciara Russell. Ciara, sorry. Yeah, Ciara. Uh, That's Russell Wilson's wife. Russell Wilson's wife. Uh
1: oh, what happened?
7: Why do you say it like that? Yeah, because she's
1: not getting in the five at five unless something happened.
7: (laughs) So she was on a PBS show called Finding Your Roots, and it's hosted by Henry Louis Gates Jr.
1: Oh, yeah, I know that guy.
7: Um, He asked her to open this booklet that contained information about who she's related to.
1: Oh, my gosh. She's related to Russell. She's... Is she?
7: She's not related to is Russell. Is she related to
1: her husband? That, that would be would a bombshell, be though. Really <laughs> unfortunate. Well, this is how you end up in the five and fives.
2: That <laughs> oh. would be number one. If that, you know what? If it was Russell, <laughs> that'd be number one. It turns out- Can you
7: imagine?
1: <laughs> they are siblings. <laughs> no. No?
7: Turns out she is distantly related to New York Yankees legend Derek Jeter. Oh, wow. So they showed her his picture, and she said, what the world? And then the professor explained how Jeter is her DNA cousin.
1: They are, c- how closely related Dist- are we? pretty talking?
7: distant. Distant. Wow.
1: And you know why they do that on those shows? They got a famous person related to a famous person. I mean, that's a jackpot for them. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm hmm. That's like, and by the way, Henry Louis Gates, people may not remember, Harvard professor. Yeah. Who was on the porch of his house and he had an incident, a nasty incident with law enforcement. Mm hmm. And he became. Oh, I'm going to say this was probably about 14, 15 years ago. He became like a... You remember this, Stephen? No. It a big story. It was a big story. A big story. Steve, ever, Stephen's answer to everything is no. <laughs> no. Stephen, <laughs> am I a bad person? No. <laughs> <You know. laughs> so Harry yeah, Louis Gates is on his porch. People may remember it was like 14, 15 years ago. He gets uh, accosted by police officers who are basically investigating a break-in.
7: In the neighborhood,
1: yeah. He's black. Yeah. It's a bad look. He's mm-hmm. a Harvard professor, for crying out loud. <laughs> and so he ends up like on CNN, everywhere, ABC News. Anna and I were on a uh, on a trip that we took to the East Coast. We went to Martha's Vineyard just because we were like, let's go. What were these people talking about? We how-
7: wanted to see how snooty yeah. it really was.
1: How snooty is Martha's Vineyard? It turns out it's really, snooty. really snooty. And we're we're. <laughs> We're borrowing these bikes that they have at this place that we're staying, and we're riding to the beach on these bikes. And lo and behold, here comes this guy wearing like a straw hat, and he's he's riding his bike towards us, and he's got a giant three-wheeler. Yeah. Like it, a giant tricycle. Yeah, it was like an adult tricycle. Just this huge three-wheeler <laughs> bike. He's pedaling. And as he's getting closer, I'm going, that looks like that guy, Henry Louis Gates. Sure enough. And every pedal, it just became more evident. It was Henry Louis Gates. Mm-hmm. He happened to be speaking on the island. And uh, as he approaches, he rings his bell on his bicycle. Ding, ding. And he waves. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I looked at Anna and he I was like. He said
7: low too, in yeah. a, like a booming voice. I
1: said, that's Henry Louis Gates. Yes.
7: Yeah. And then just to verify, we looked him up and it was like, oh, he's speaking on the island this weekend.
1: We didn't go see him speak because we got immersed in a big game of Golden Tee Golf. We did. At a bar. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So we missed the speaking engagement.
9: Yeah. Yeah. Number five.
2: I was going to ask you guys, are you distantly related to anybody like like that? Because I am uh, with Abraham Lincoln. Really? Yeah.
1: What are you? Like first cousin? Brothers, I think. No, I don't know. <laughs> what? Tell us about the relation. How I, close?
2: Uh, um, I think it's it's somewhat close. My 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 grandparents would know about They've done a lot of research on it. All I know is it's a good fun party fact that I'm I mean, related so to Abraham Lincoln.
1: How did you find this out? Yeah.
2: Uh, well, my grandparents they they dug into it like I mean a long time ago. Like they get were, him on
0: the show. Yeah, get him
2: on the show. That's right. <laughs> Found and that and it makes sense. Like my whole family on that side is really tall, like Abe. So uh, I thought you're gonna say you're really honest. That, that's not true.
1: So now every time I spend a fiver, I'm thinking about you.
2: Yeah, exactly. And then my son's name is Lincoln. It's just a coincidence though. Is that why? No, I mean not really. It wasn't like the full reason, but it wasn't it didn't
1: hurt them hurt the argument. You found out after? No, I, I knew it before, but we Oh, then you did that. Well, That's intentional.
2: No, because Coach Vaughn, she has so many kids. She vetoed so many names because she's a teacher. And so she oh, just like yeah.
1: Oh, okay. That she, just ruins it. <laughs> she for was her. like the uh yeah. the woman who lived in a shoe.
2: Exactly. <laughs> so you brought it and she's like, No, I hate that kid, so I can't have that name. So Lincoln was a kid that she, I don't think she'd ever had.
1: <laughs> All right, <laughs> Anna's, Anna's over. He, he said she has so many kids because she's a coach. Yeah, right. coach and DJ. so I was making a joke off that the there was uh, the woman who lived in a shoe yeah, had so many kids. Yeah, Remember? I, yeah, yeah, yeah.
7: I didn't need the explanation. Number five <laughs> related to Abraham Lincoln. Okay, <sighs> number five. I got to compose myself here. Uh, Christopher Nolan, famed director. He uh, directed, most recently, Oppenheimer. And (laughs) this is so funny. He was doing a Peloton workout. And while he was doing the Peloton workout, the woman leading the class, Jen Sherman, started talking trash (laughs) about uh, his movie. Isn't that funny? Like, he was literally doing the class and working out
1: and he was and, like they're talking about me
7: and yeah yeah he he offered this because he won a, an award for that movie recently and included that in his acceptance speech
1: peloton Jen man yeah. throw in some shade while he's uh he's trying to he's trying to work out I bet he never uh, takes her class again
7: she literally said she wasted hours of her life. <laughs> That she would never get back.
1: Have you ever had a moment like that, that you (laughs) said something like that, and then you realized, oops.
7: Oh, all the time.
1: It happens. Yeah. That's a great five at five. There you go. Those were five solid stories. I liked that. Rather enjoyed that. Um, You're not related to anybody? Who, me? Yeah, like you don't have, I don't like, know, Chairman Mao or something, you know, in your background. Or no, something. thanks. <laughs> you know? um, I you know? really so, liked to not. I'm sorry, but it was the only Chinese-Taiwanese <laughs> reference really? that I have. Aren't Jeremy you, Lin? You? Are you are you related to Jeremy Lin? Are you
7: related no? to Confucius?
1: <laughs> it was all I had in that moment. I hadn't thought that far ahead. My I, mouth was going. Literally. And are you related to anyone? And then uh, I went to, who do I know? It was gonna I... be. It was gonna be like Jackie Chan, Jeremy Lin, <laughs> Chairman Mao. That's all I had to draw up on. Wow. Okay. I don't even know if Jackie Chan is uh, from Taiwan or China. <laughs> but you, you've done the genealogy Hong stuff. Hong Kong. He's from aren't, Hong Kong. Aren't
7: you related really to like uh, I don't know Mussolini or something?
1: <laughs> <laughs> As it so happens, you know, if if you were, what if you were? What if you did? What if you did ancestry? And you had a horrible yeah. result.
7: Yeah, I know. I know. Can you imagine?
1: Like this serial related killer. Related
7: to like Hitler, you know?
1: Or Ted Kaczynski. Or like just, you know, some awful Ted Bundy. Serial yeah. killer t- type stuff. Would yeah. you claim it? Or would you, uh, like, because I noticed no, Stephen. bury that. Stephen was a little bit, um, like Stephen's been waiting. Oh, I've had, <laughs>
2: to, I've had them the holster.
1: To slip that one in. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's been, the minute he, you said, you know, she went on this show, Stephen just, I could see him sit forward in his chair, perked up. He was like, this is the moment I've been, like when he, on day one, he was waiting to say, (laughs) I'm related to Abraham Lincoln. This is my time. Because that's not embarrassing. Right. That's a good one. Right. Right. You know? Yeah,
7: you'd bury any other ones that were bad
2: like that. I don't like know a, though because you can make some money or like do a podcast, and be like, "Look, I'm related to Ted Bundy," and look at me now, and now I'm just talking about the news. Like, there's a lot of people that do that, make money off it,
1: score off that. Yeah, the negative connotation, turn a negative into a positive, so to speak. Exactly. That uh, that's the uh, the bearded lady philosophy. You know, end up in the circus, make some dollars off that. Seriously, lizard man. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs>
7: What? What did you eat today?
1: <laughs> Probably nothing. <laughs> Probably. Coffee. Yeah, I, I had coffee. I know. And this is where I am today. Um hey, I have a really fun column coming out tomorrow. I I almost never do this, but I I was thinking today, you made a comment on yesterday's show about sometimes I write a column just because I need to write a column. Yeah. I'm so sick of the bureaucracy, the money, the greed in sports, you know, television deals. We have all this news today about, you know, the the media rights for the NCAA championship events, big number coming out, you know, and I don't know if people really care about that. But, you know, you got the college football playoff media rights. um, There's been some reports and some speculation that that ESPN's going to bid or Fox is going to bid and all that stuff. I I'm so sick of that Mm -hmm. stuff. Yeah. So I went in search of a column today that is got some redeeming qualities to it. So if you need that lift, like I need it, com, Get a free subscription or a paid subscription, and it'll get delivered right in your email inbox tomorrow morning. All right, coming up, we've got Punch It Audio, got great sound. We're going to have more fun on today's show. Uh, I changed my word for the year today. What? Remember my word was focus? Can you do
7: that? I noticed
1: you, when you asked my word for 2024, yeah. I said focus. Yeah. You really didn't say anything after that.
7: Say Good job.
1: Like, but. Nice. But I kind of think you already think I'm focused and that's not the word you wanted me to pick.
7: No, you know what I'm saying? You can, it's your word, John. I'm not here to coach you on your word John. for the year.
1: Um, I changed my word. Who am
7: I supposed to call you?
1: I
2: changed my JC. word. I changed my word to joy. Well, how late in this year can you change your pick?
7: Uh, you can't. It's yeah, you can't. We're, we're really bumping up against the. Until
1: you, you here. can change your word until you get your W2 from your employer. Yeah. <laughs> How about that? I talked about it with my
2: wife. I have a new one, too. Uh, All
1: right. What? What, What's
2: your word? Mine's mine's gratitude. Oh, that's a great word. What was
7: your original word?
2: I didn't really. I said said discipline, but that was was cop out. (laughs) Wait, whoa! Your original word
1: was (laughs) discipline. Discipline. Gave up on it. Yeah.
2: I gave up on my discipline.
1: Three days. It lasted three days.
2: That's way too
7: committal for me.
1: 72 hours of discipline was enough. No, it's gratitude. Uh, That's you why I need uh, to know
2: how long I can go into the year before I change my next word.
7: This is it. You got to you got to write
1: it in blood now. You only get one change. You get a mulligan. It's like the transfer portal. Yeah. Because when you asked me I, I, like you had clearly Anna given it a lot of thought. I
7: hadn't really.
1: Yeah, I don't know. It was your idea. It spread like wildfire and here's the thing. I asked Wayne Tinkle and Dana Altman what their words for the year were. Yeah. Tankle stole your word. He said, I like Anna's word. I'll, I'll take that one.
7: Oh, that's okay. Can you do that? Sure, yeah.
1: And uh, then Altman said healthy. Healthy? Because he wants his team to be healthy. Okay. It's just basketball all the time in that guy's head. <laughs>
7: okay. And,
1: but I said focus. Yeah. You really didn't react. And then I got to thinking, I'm like-
7: Why does it matter that I didn't react? Because
1: I was looking for a little affirmation. Oh. I was looking for, oh, that's good. You need that. uh uh-huh. I don't think you're looking at me thinking I need focus. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of the same
2: i th- same thought, John. Like, yeah, I f- you feel like you are focused a lot, anyways. Like, how yeah. much more focused can you be?
1: I am locked in, you know. Uh-huh. So I changed my word to. Uh, I have two words. Okay, joy.
7: Yeah,
1: and and health.
7: Oh, we Wait, we can have two. We can have two words now. <laughs> we have word two A and two B. Joy
1: is because I need an escape from the nonsense of okay. everything. Joy, and, and then and health. Because I do think that, you know, when I get out of this studio. Yeah. Okay, the studio becomes like the center of the world for me. Okay. And I get out of this studio, I need to find a little balance outside of the studio. Yeah. Like balance it out. Okay. I would say balance, but yeah. No. not Not my thing. Yeah. All right. Leave it here. We have Punch It Audio coming up. Pick your word. Ask your Family members, what their words are going to be? We asked our seven-year-old and our nine-year-old their words.
7: Yeah, uh, the nine-year-old's word is exotic. Mm-hmm. Exotic, yep. Yeah. And then the seven-year-old We're have a conversation uh, about that initially said snazzy, and uh, apparently you're taking after her because then she came back and said, "I need a second word, and that is sh- chic." Oh. Snazzy and chic I are like chic words for the year. I,
1: I also want to use, my third word would be spelt.
7: Your, that would be your fourth word.
1: Okay. Well, my fourth word would be spelt. If really? I had, if I got a fourth word. Do I get a sentence? Spelt? Can I have a sentence? Save one for 2025. <laughs> All right.
7: You're working on a haiku now. <laughs> Leave
1: it here. Now I feel like I should do Ancestry or something and find a uh, famous person that I'm related to. Stephen related to Abraham Lincoln. Uh, I like to know how closely related, so I can tell other people find that out. We're gonna play some punch at audio. Uh, we'll take your phone calls as well. Five zero three four one seven seventy five seventy five is a number. What is your word for the day? And what should the Oregon Oregon State Trailblazers? Who's your team? And what word should that franchise or that entity have for twenty twenty four? I've been thinking about that in the commercial break. I was thinking, what what word would I give to Oregon State? What word would I give to Oregon? What word would I give to the Blazers? I want yours as well. 503-417-7575. Let's play. Let's play.
0: (laughs) We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Bald
3: Fish Truth Headquarters. Hey, we're all about truth, justice, and the American way here, okay? Which is why we've spanned the globe and pulled the top audio cuts of the day.
0: You're going to hear little snippets
1: of sound.
0: Hey, it's time for Punch It Audio. Presented by First Call Heating
1: and Cooling. Well, let's start with Michael Penix, Jr. He's the quarterback at Washington. Came back this season. He explained why he came back. This season he's in the title game on Monday punching
4: yeah I mean it's been a real special you know, it's, you know the position that we're in right now is definitely the reason that um I know that we all chose to come
6: back you know we we saw we saw the vision and we believe uh, that we could be able to achieve the greatest things out there so um this team has been doing it um we've been on a mission and uh we've just been truly blessed you know but uh, at the same time you know it's it, it took a lot of hard work to get here and uh, it wasn't always perfect, but we, we found a, we always found a way to make it work. So, um, man, it's just hats off to this team and, you know, just our grit and our determination and, and our will to win each and every week.
1: Well, I mean, let's be real. There, There's some name-image-likeness money involved in a lot of the players that are coming back, high-level players coming back, Bo Nix coming back to Oregon, Michael Penix Jr. coming back to Washington. You know, a lot was made in the Fiesta Bowl about Bo Nix coming back for another season, and I think if we're going to be honest about it. You know, there's the possibility that Bo Nix was getting some NIL dollars to play in the bowl game, okay? that That's fine. That You know, still, there was a bunch of players who opted out of games. Michael Penix Jr. got what most estimate to be a seven-figure deal to come back. That's part of it. But he's also in a terrific position and has had, I think, the best football season of any player in America. He should have won the Heisman Trophy. He was on top of my ballot. I just, I watched him. I don't think a lot of the voters watched him. But now Washington is this close. And by this close, I mean they've got an opportunity now to win a national championship and essentially be the participant that knocks off a Big Ten team That knocked off an SEC team. It would put the Pac-12 on top of the college football world for the first time since the college football playoff era um, became a thing. Now, Kalen DeBoer talked about Michael Penix Jr. And he goes back two years here in this clip. Penix knew he could be successful at Washington, in part because apparently Michael Penix Jr. asked Kalen DeBoer before he transferred to Washington two years ago, who's going to be on the offensive line? True story. Punch it.
3: Michael wanted to know, like you said, the offensive line, who they were going to be. Um, you know, wanted to make sure he could be protected because I think he trusted what his talent was and what mm-hmm. he could do with football um, as long as he had some of those pieces to keep him, keep him upright um, and give him a chance, you know, and, and I did as well. And so uh, I was super excited when he came on board uh, that, uh, you know, we'd end up having uh, what, what, we're, what we're doing right now. You know, and that's a lot of success uh, with him leading the charge.
1: Yeah, really good story. It's an example of the portal really working for a coach, working for a player. But let's not forget, uh, Kalen DeBoer was a sneaky good hire that was made in the same hiring cycle that Dan Lanning went to Oregon and Lincoln Riley went to USC. Of those three hires, it was kind of – made the number three most splashy hire by media and by people looking at it from the outside in. So a little credit for Jen Cohen, the athletic director, then at the time at at Washington, she made a great hire in Kalen DeBoer. Kalen DeBoer used the portal to his advantage. It worked. Another guy who used the portal to his advantage, Jalen Polk, wide receiver, at Washington, he was at TCU, Texas Tech, rather. Texas Tech is a freshman. He's at Washington now. He talked about Washington's offense facing Michigan's defense. Punching.
3: You know, overall, it's a great defense. You know, the number one defense in the country. So those guys are going to fly around each and every play. You know, they're physical. And, you know, they're really going to come out and have Mr. and. You know, they're very fundamental, very fundamental team, and you can tell um, by watching the film, they play together. So, you know, we're going to have to come bring our A game, and we will. You know, I trust and believe in our, our guys that, you know, we're going to do whatever we got to do to get the job done. And, you know, it's not going to be easy. It's definitely going to be a dogfight.
1: Going to be a dogfight. Uh, Washington's offense not worried about them. They're going to have to do a better job against Michigan's run game, though. I think Jim Harbaugh will be salivating looking at the numbers from the Texas game. Uh, I think, you know, if you are a betting person in this game, you're going to bet that Michigan's going to run, run, run. Washington's going to pass, pass, pass. And uh, we'll see what happens. Chris Sims talking about Brock Purdy and Lamar Jackson. How much should they play? Ravens and Niners will be the one seeds. They're locked up in the AFC and NFC. Chris Sims talking about how much those guys should play. In uh, the final week of the NFL regular season punch it but I feel like because of
5: social media and how you could be targeted that way coaches are more scared now than ever to do that type of stuff because they don't want to be vilified for why did you play this guy in a meaningless game or a meaningless moment but if I was hardball or you know Shanahan I, my quarterback would play a few series he would you know as I've mentioned many times like New England used to do when they had a one seed locked up Brady and company play the first half, right? Second half would come around. We'd see them on the bench, and that was it. But, yeah, I just think that's a long time to go without playing football and being in the process of pregame warm-ups and everything that we talk about that gets you prepared to to play your best
1: football. Love the uh, sentiment, but I think it's a case-by-case situation. If you've got the 49ers' history, look back to last year in the postseason, what plagued the Niners – they didn't have a healthy quarterback. I don't think you want to risk anything that you don't have to risk, um, especially uh, with Brock Purdy playing as well as he has most weeks this season. We'll see if he gets another you, shot at the Ravens.
2: Do you think, um, with now that only one team gets a bye week in the NFL, do you think it, it's an easier chance for teams to get rusty like that? Because, because, like that, because if Brock Purdy doesn't play on Sunday, which he's not supposed to, I, I think Shanahan's already said he's not going to play, it's basically going to be three weeks since the last time he played. He'll, he will not play in the NFL game. Does that concern you going into the playoffs when you're going to be playing against
1: good teams? It would worry me if the NFC had a team that I thought was neck and neck with the Niners. I think there's a separation right now in the AFC and the NFC. I think it's the Ravens and Niners in the Super Bowl, and I've I've never felt this strongly about a matchup. Um, you know, I could be look if the Niners come out and they they're really rusty and they get beat in their first playoff game, then you know you're you know you make you can make a case for that. But I just think given how the Niners went out last year, I I wouldn't risk anything I didn't have to risk.
2: Yeah, I think for, you're right with the Niners. Like health is the most important thing. The only thing I worry about is Brock Purdy's still a young player. Like. It would be nice to have those type of reps, but I think the health is the most number one important thing for forty. The hours.
1: thing that worried me most about Brock Purdy was like I, you know, he had a really bad game against the Ravens, and you know, maybe from a confidence standpoint, you want to see him come in and play better. But I don't, I don't know. I think at this point of the NFL season, a lot of guys are banged up. If he needs the time, he needs the rest. They know what they're doing until they don't. Dan Campbell, here he is getting into it with a radio host at ninety-seven point one, The Ticket. In Detroit, Lions coach mixing it up, punching. You had said, you
3: told the offense, you're going for two on the final drive if you score. But from the seven, I mean, and looking back, like, was there a point of no return where you laid on your sword and kicked the extra point? Do you regret at all the decision to go for it from the seven?
6: Yeah, I told, I told our offense, I think I I said this before, and uh, we're going for the win. And we're going to go down. We're going to score, and we're going for two. And and I wasn't coming off of that.
3: So if it was like ten or fifteen, like a holding penalty, you still would have gone for it.
6: No, if we're getting outside the ten. No, oh, we've we outside the yeah, ten yeah. every week. Good on good. <laughs> we do it every week. O
4: versus D. Yeah, I like when when you got the penalty and moved it what, to Go the ahead and
6: say it. Say it, both of you. What? Say it say what you want to say
3: I think from the seven it's a low percentage play I think your chances of winning are lower than if you kick the extra point. No, I would, I would,
6: have, I would like have you would say it to anybody else I'm on the radio say it like you
1: want to say it
3: yeah I thought it was a reckless decision thank you, you... okay what? but you don't regret it
1: no Look, and here's why Campbell's right and the host is wrong you kinda have to understand you know what are you playing for if you're the Lions in that situation and, you know, the Lions were trying to play to, you know, obviously have the best record that they could possibly add. But they're, play- they're it's house money for Detroit right now. It's a franchise that doesn't typically participate in the postseason. And it's Campbell's brand much in the same way that it's Dan Lanning's brand. I'm going to go for it. Stop us if you can. The message that he gives to his offense from the 7-yard line, and in a lot of ways if you talk to quarterbacks, they will tell you they'd rather be at the 7-yard then at then maybe at the 4 or the 5 if they if it's a pass play they like cuz things tend to get a little bit condensed in the end zone some quarterbacks will tell you they'd like to be at the 10 or 12 yard line you know even the 15 if it's going to be a pass play so i i didn't mind it and they were successful on the play it, you know where they got wrong was with the officials and the procedure of it steven dan campbell or the host who's got it right
2: uh, i think campbell does and i think it's for the what you said it's great comparison with dan lanning because that's the Lions' style. They go for fourth downs. They were, you know, number one team in fourth down attempts this season. That's what he wants to be. He wants to be aggressive. So, he owns it. He says, "Look, we were going for the win. This is what we were going to do. I'm not going to back off it. I'm not going to say I regret this decision." Now, you know, it wasn't the smartest decision to go for two from the seven yard line. Maybe not, but that's what Campbell wants to do, and I'm not going to argue it. That's his style. That's his, you know, the culture of the team, and it's been successful. Lions win the division for the first time forever. So, no, I- I'm on Team Campbell on this one.
1: Yeah, and you know, ultimately, they're a three seed in the NFC. It's where they're going to end up, and you know, I I liked it because it was kind of like when he was hired. Do you remember when he was hired? And everybody made a big deal over the fact that you know he came in and he was kind of like talking like a gunslinger in the opening news conference. And you know, here's his here's his introduction. All right, tell me if he's on brand.
4: All right, and so this team's going to be built on. Uh, we're going to kick you in the teeth. We're going to learn that any loss that we take, we're going to make sure we feel the full pain of it and not go numb to it and learn from
1: He goes through the 2021 season. He goes through the 2022 season. Here he is going through the 2023 season. Guess what? It's on brand. And I think it works for that reason. Moving on, Chauncey Billups, Blazers lost 126-97 to to Dallas. There's no other way to put this. Blazers were whistled for 34 fouls. It's not going to be a great season in the win-loss column. Chauncey Billups summarizing it. Punch it. Oh,
6: man. It was rough. It was rough. Uh, Tough going the whole night. I mean, the foul trouble really hurt us. I mean, they go into the free throw line every time. You can never really run and get in a rhythm, you know. Um, It's just tough to kind of. Get in any rhythm and play that way, you know, on every single time. It just seemed like the stopping in the game.
1: Blazers sitting at 9-24. and 24. They have the fifth worst record in the NBA, second worst record in the Western Conference. Chauncey Billups summarizing and uh, speaking like a lot of Blazer fans, I mean, it's it's just, it's such a, it's hard enough to win games, but when you end up, in a game like that where you're just watching the Mavericks shoot free throws all night, it's gotta be really frustrating for a coach who I think knows that, you know, he's in a little over his head. The roster's in over its head. It's not great any any way you cut it. Finally, Jim Moore. He co-hosts a show on KJR in Seattle. He joined us earlier. I asked him about Oregon, Washington, Oregon State, Washington State. What he's hoping happens in the future, and Jim Moore, I thought his performance on the show today, his interview was fantastic. If you want to grab the podcast, you should. Here's Jim Punch. I it. love my school
5: so much, and I've always loved the Beads, too, and I can't get enough of the chainsaw, man. Whenever that chainsaw is going, I'm all fired up, you know? Let's go <laughs> Beads, you know? I love So it. I'm hoping that we can, we can just kind of bond together and make something out of it. In my ideal world, I want to see Washington and Oregon crawling back asking us some after all these flights you know 30,000 feet six hours to wherever they're going to go like I'm really looking forward to those games against Rutgers I'm sure those kids are going to really enjoy that and then I want them to come crawling back and then just kind of go please will you take us back please take us back And, and I'm hoping that we just say screw you we're not taking you back get the hell out of here you ditched us we don't want you so anyway I just live in a dream world John.
1: There's Jim Moore. Grabbed the full podcast of his interview. It was a fantastic, about a 20-minute talk. Um, and I think he's speaking for a lot of Washington State fans who are have mixed feelings about seeing Washington play for a national championship in the same year that they, they view Washington leaving the conference as part of the conference imploding. Uh, really going to be an interesting Monday, win or lose by the Huskies. Leave it here. I, I want your words. Your word for the year, for the Oregon Ducks. For the Beavers, for the Blazers, give them a word. 503-417-7575. Strong show today. Great guests. Steven was on point. Anna brought the heat. Judah, terrific behind the scenes. Appreciate you, man. Um, Tomorrow's show, Softy from KJR in Seattle will be joining us. He's off the rails usually when we bring him on the show. I'm not going to replay a bunch of Softy clips. Um... I can give you a taste of so- of Softy, but I don't wanna I don't wanna give you uh, too much.
0: As far as the game on Saturday, am I scared? Am I fearful? first of all, I'm nervous for every freaking husky game. That's number one. <laughs> and it's number two. No I'm not scared of Oregon. I mean, who the hell is Oregon beaten this year? They haven't beaten
1: anybody. All right, we're gonna get Softy. What kind of version of Softy do we get tomorrow, Steven? Do you think we get Softy, nervous, anxious, hand wringing? Is he angry? Is he agitated? What's his mood gonna be on a Friday with the national championship game on a Monday?
2: I think he's I think he's gonna be nervous, but he's gonna play it off like he's not. Right? Like he's gonna play it off like, oh, you know, Washington shouldn't even have been here. They've been underdogs all year. You know, it'd
1: be surprising if they win. But I think that just means deep down he's very mm-hmm. nervous about the game. Yeah, he kind of does that. He takes the uh he takes the approach of setting up the opponent and putting a little pressure on his team, but setting up the opponent. Like When Oregon and Washington played earlier in the season in October, I thought it was interesting that he went out of his way to say that Kalen DeBoer had not won anything, and Dan Lanning had not won anything. Neither one of these guys has done anything.
0: Uh, Nobody has really accomplished anything, uh, let's be totally honest with each other. And really, you know what, when it comes to Kalen DeBoer and Dan Lanning, in the grand scheme of things, what have these coaches even done, really? I mean, Dan Lanning's got a holiday bowl. Uh, Kalen DeBoer's got an Alamo bowl. I mean, so what? Who cares, right? I mean, Oregon wants Final Fours. UW wants Final Fours. Oregon's been to a BCS championship. Washington's been to a Final Four. You're not in it for the freaking Holiday Bowl, and I'm not in it for the damn Alamo Bowl. So in the end, these coaches have done nothing. A lot of teams are top ten in late September, early October. But who's going to be standing in late November, early December? That's all people give a damn about. And these coaches yet have have not done that yet. And I think this is a big game towards deciding which one's going to do it first.
1: Well, there he is. Dan Lanning got a Fiesta Bowl, so he got a New Year's Day win. Kalen DeBoer has a Sugar Bowl and is sitting in the national championship game. Um, I think it's a step forward for both programs, and it brings me to my next subject, and I'll take phone calls on this topic. I want to know what your word for the Ducks is for next season or this year, this year, this 2024 year. They're going to the Big Ten Conference without Bo Nix. What's the word for Oregon? What's the word for Oregon State? The word of the year in 2024. Going to play Mountain West Conference Partnership. They'll play Purdue at home. They'll play Oregon. What's the word for Oregon State? And what's the word for the Trailblazers sitting uh, with fewer than 10 wins in the NBA standings at this point of the season? What's the word for 2024? I'll go first. Steven, I want yours as well. And callers, if you'd like to join, 503-417-7575. Give me that word that popped into your head. Right now, as I said, Ducks, Beavers, Blazers. I'll go first. The Oregon Ducks' word for 2024, for me, is elevate. Right? The the trajectory of the program went from Holiday Bowl to Fiesta Bowl. Never mind that it was a win over Liberty. The stakes this season went from last year losing uh, to uh, Oregon State, losing to Washington, this season, getting to the Pac-12 championship game, I need a step forward, another step forward. Dan Lanning, elevate. How about you, Stephen, for the Ducks? Yeah, I had similar. Mine was finish.
2: Finish the job. You know, you were so close to the college 12 playoffs at the Pac-12 title. Finish the job and get over the hump and get one of those wins against Washington. That was for finish for me.
1: It's going to be hard, I think, without Bo Nix, but they have to elevate. Oregon State, persevere. It's plain and simple for me. Mountain West Conference schedule, got to persevere. Trent Bray, first year, got to persevere. You know, a lot of change on the roster, got to persevere.
2: How about you? For me, it's dominate. It's dominate the Mountain West opponents when you play them. I think it's one of those things, if you prove that you can beat these teams, you don't belong in the Mountain West, you got to dominate. And so I think the Oregon State has to have that mentality.
1: Blazers, they'll be in the lottery. They may have two picks in the lottery if the Warriors go in the tank. For me, it's luck. They need to get the one pick. For me, it's hope, and it's the hope that the Warriors
2: aren't very good. It's the hope that even the Milwaukee Bucks, maybe something happens where Dame doesn't want to play there, and they get their pick in a couple of years. And you got Scoot, you got Ant, you got Shaden Sharp. It's all about hope for the Blazers.
1: Chaos, luck, hope. All right, grab a podcast of this show. We're back tomorrow with Softy, also Matt Prem, twenty four seven sports.